We got it for a post-mortem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right. Ready? Start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 65 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So we're joined today by our mentor and spiritual leader, Joseph A. Gervasi. Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> I was mad that Joseph's our spiritual leader, given that Liam's on the show. I was literally going to be like, uh, I'm more comfortable with guy we like. <laughs> We're here with our friend. <laughs> uh, Homeboy is the other name I was going to go with. Homeboy is also good. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I stick by the mentor thing. Okay. So, you know, I've told you this, right? You know this about me, that I, I like exonerate you. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. I hope I live up to your expectations. You do, man. You do. We saw, we, we saw movies together. Oh, and happy birthday. I'd like oh. to make a public statement right now. Joseph Gervasi just turned 21 years old. <laughs> and he is an amazing dude. So happy yeah. birthday! Happy Be birthday, birthday to, to you, you, Joseph. Happy birthday! Okay, we're not doing the whole song. I didn't think you would start singing just because I started. And Your you hand did. motion indicated that you wanted me to sing with <laughs> I you. I know, but that's it's like a manipulation. Yeah. Very clearly, you, you don't done, hang out. Have with you ever done that in a cr- Have you ever done that in a crowd where you get a group of people start singing "Happy Birthday" and then everyone starts singing, but then you just stop at the name. <laughs> And no one knows who started no. the song. They don't know who they're supposed to be wishing happy birthday to. Maybe that's more of like a youth group thing. But I've definitely done that. I've done that Dude. in like a large group. Like a, like there's a room. There's like 200 people in the room. And I'm at a table of eight people. And I go, everyone just starts singing happy birthday. And eventually the whole room's like, happy birthday, wow. And then there's nothing. Youth group humor. Youth group Here's humor. You just did that. that. Let's be clear, though. Okay. That's funny in any scenario. Oh, it is. It is. But it's even more funny that you... <laughs> thought of this at a youth group scenario. I feel like that's where it's from. I don't know. I, maybe I don't, not. I but. don't even care now. That's the story. Possibly a youth it. crew scenario oh. where people just jumping on each other's backs as they did. <laughs> it's good. It was Ray pointing. there. I did have my socks pulled up, but it was unrelated. <laughs> unrelated. Well, I, I am exceedingly proud of the one pube that I grew <laughs> uh, for my birthday. <laughs> And I thought that that should probably be. Dude, mentioned are you here. so stoked to try beer? Beer is so good, man. I hear, beer, I hear beer's good. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Part of the order. Actually, you know, last week I made my first foray into the Wissahickon, and Joseph ran right by me and didn't see me there. While you were in the wait, why were you in the Wissahickon? I was riding a bicycle with my friend and Joseph's neighbor Pat. And uh, Melani and, and everybody else. Oh, I yeah. See. As, as we remarked, I see large, bald, tattooed <laughs> Filipinos all the time in the Wissahickon. So you were just another yeah. one that it's I didn't like, notice. It's like the it's like the uh, the No Rain video where the B girl finds like her home of B girls. That's like it was well, not like B like a hip hop B girl, but like a B like the buzzing B. You guys know exactly what I'm referencing. No, I have no everything you're saying is it. crazy. Don't even worry about it. It's oh. important. You mean blind melon? That's the one. Mm-hmm. Not blind lemon. No, wrong blind. L- wrong b- unseeing fruit. <laughs> uh, hey, so this is episode 65, as we said. Yes, this is. It is brought to you we, we by the letter. <laughs> no, by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. If you would like something screen printed, go to xlvacx.com. They do professional work, they're nice people. And uh, they also sell shirts for a bunch of bands we like. So, they also are printing up the next run of Cross Key shirts yes. for our show on the 8th of next month. Of they're literally July they're, 8th. They're literally on a list of only like three things good about the Lehigh Valley in total. <laughs> so, might as Do well you count them. as one of them? Or two no, of them? No. I could be there for the next decade and I'll never count myself as <laughs> a thing about the Lehigh Valley. 
Sorry. But they are great. Yeah. Lehigh Valley Apparel yes. Creations. Get your stuff printed there. Chris Vizek, the man. So, so yeah. So this is our... Uh, th- Postmortem? <laughs> yeah. We were originally intending to do just a brief intro to the episode, because this episode is centered around an event that we had sponsored last week of a screening of Drew Stone's The New York Hardcore Chronicles. Yeah. Well, uh, the New York Hardcore, Hardcore Chronicles, Chronicles film. film. Yes, film. That's the full name. Full name. Yeah. So um, so we had this event at Philomoka. Uh, we put it together with the help of Joseph, and mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of y'all came out. Thanks to everyone who did. Thank you so much to Steve DeLodovico and, um, you know, and Pablo from uh, Brasley Breakdown. Yep, they gave us some support, got the word out. A few people actually posted about it. And even, I want to say thanks to, there were a bunch of people who are part of Cinepunks who don't even live in the Philadelphia area who still posted about it. Yeah. And so I just appreciate um, the support that we got. So we had Also, this... Crash Bang Boom off of South Street. They, oh, uh, yes. They posted a lot for us on, on behalf of sure, us. Sure, sure. So and Doc guys. Martins for uh, giving out passes that not a single person came in on. That That's 10 true. people did not feel <laughs> important enough of a thing to come down to. So here's the deal, guys. We did this thing, and the episode was going to be the Q&A. And the yeah. Q&A was meant to feature... Uh, Director Drew Stone. Director Drew Stone. Uh, Nunzio. What's Nunzio's first name? Rob Nunzio. Rob Nunzio from Antidote. Uh, Danny Schuler from, from Biohazard. And Mike Judge of Judge. Uh, and so our plan was that we would... Uh, Introduce and lead this Q and A. We were the moderators. We yeah, were the we were moderators. to moderate the discussion. Right, right. And this would be it like was, a, also it should be noted we watched the movie prior to, and neither none of us had seen it. Right, we, right. we hadn't no, seen it. We didn't know anything about the movie going in, other than it was New York hardcore. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, and then, it was and actually then, Steve DeLodovico who uh, hooked me up with. Yes, Drew. yes. He's the one. Drew posted that he was about to take it on on the road. Yeah, and, um, he was, which he has done to a lot of different places. Yes. And he was asking for people to uh, to help put it together in various cities. And Stephen from um, Broad Street Breakdown put me in touch with him. So we had this Q&A, and the plan was just to release the Q&A as the episode. But uh, the Q&A didn't necessarily go as we had planned. Uh, and the more we thought about it, we thought, well, let's record a little bit of something beforehand yeah. where we can tell you all a little bit about the movie. We can... A little bit of a primer for the yeah. Q and A, and just talk about you know we've now done a few of these punk documentaries and yeah. more have come out and I think it's a topic worth talking about for a little bit is like is this this new wave of of uh, micro docs yeah 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 yeah, yeah. there's I mean there's a documentary on everything every subgenre and then each respective band within. Yeah. That subgenre, and Every then it's also city. it's also limited to yeah your location as well. They focus on various scenes. Like I'm sure there's a Kalamazoo one. I'm sure that there's you know we yeah. did, we did San Diego right. That was yeah. uh, it's gonna blow with um with the director. What was his name, Joseph? You you were the one who hooked us up with that one too, right? Um, yeah, it's gonna blow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the DC Salad Days with uh, we Scott that. Crawford, Jim Saw, and, Sutton, and Scott yeah, Crawford, mm-hmm. and then we did uh, the New Breed documentary with Freddie Alva, Alva and mm-hmm. Tony Rettman. And this is John actually Woods and this is Orlando actually Arcee. Drew Stone's second hardcore documentary because he did the Boston one as well. I did not see that. Yeah. I didn't see it either. So, but that you know, there's a Boston documentary. I mean, you could go back to like American Hardcore. There were documentaries before, like the classic, the now classic <laughs> Frank Pavich feature. The New York Hardcore Documentary, which is yeah. actually, other than PBS stuff, that was actually the first one I ever saw. Yeah. Um, other than Donahue, that was the first yes, one I ever yeah, saw. Yeah, yeah. You didn't see Another State of Mind early? Oh, That's yeah, true, that but counts. that is, I actually wouldn't count that because I think 
some form of like band story, like we're following this band. Yeah. And that's, I always think of another state of mind as that less than, hey, More it's of a been, tour diary. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I will say this about the New York Hardcore documentary that's different than these documentaries. The New York Hardcore documentary was documenting what was happening then. It doesn't give you almost any history at all. It's just, hey, this is what's happening right now with a certain group of bands. Whereas the movies that we're describing tend to be, this is what happened a while ago. So I guess, in a sense, the New York Harker documentary is closer to another state of mind or closer to the great rock and roll swindle or closer because it was about a current moment. Um, but, it, I mean, it's going back to the early 80s. I mean, it's detailing the you know, New York... No, Har- so, 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 the New York Hardcore Chronicles is. The oh, oh, I thought Hardcore you were talking about... The New York Hardcore documentary okay, yeah, sorry. by is, Frank Pavich, yeah. also director of the Dune documentary. Uh, Joe Duraski's Dune. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that one was just... He didn't tell any... I mean, there was a little bit of people saying, like, he talked to, like, John Joseph, and he talked to the uh, Roger Merritt and whatever. But it wasn't about that. It was about what was happening at that moment. Whereas, like... You know, New York Hardcore Chronicles or It's Gonna Blow or any of these movies tend to be more about this the is what happened in the time. past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Documenting so. the past more than telling a current story. <laughs> oh, man. I just had to point out that we were just interrupted by a visit from Bad Michael. Bad Michael is the best. I fucking love that dude. Who we've talked about on the podcast before. Hopefully, we'll have him on the show and it'll be really Bad weird. Michael? Yeah. I just want you to get anyone and just say that they're Bad <laughs> Michael so I never know. Maybe Bad Michael will never come on the show and he'll just be some mystery. So. Anyway, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry it's okay. to interrupt the conversation. So, uh, I think what we're gonna, what we sh- what I would like to do actually is start with whacking on track, right? And then we'll have a brief discussion about uh, what we thought of this particular movie and punk movies in general. Tell you guys a little bit of what the Q and A experience was like, uh, and then it we'll have a break, and then we'll play the the Q and A goes for actually almost an hour. Does it? Yeah, it's like about forty five minutes, forty eight minutes, something like that. So, um, you know. It, it parts of it we'll get into it but uh just just so you know parts of it uh our mans don't like to talk into the microphone so it's hard to hear <laughs> i gave it a listen and it's it's interesting you listened to the whole thing already i skipped through it i couldn't okay. i couldn't actually make it through the whole thing okay so uh <laughs> hey you know what time it is time for our patented patented segment seg- our, our, our uh copyrighted segment of this show <laughs> Wacking on track. Yeah. Joseph jumped in. And oh, it was the best. so good, Joseph. What so our, good. What our powers We are on. as one voice, America. We are as one voice. We are Captain Snarky. What? Okay. <laughs> so who's going to start? Joseph, as our guest, would you like to either start or would you like to finish? I will finish. Okay, then. <laughs> Everyone chooses finish. So, Liam. You always go the longest, so I think you should go first. Okay. Because you do more cool stuff than me. We did something so cool last week. We watched. Oh shit! You're right. This was going to be my thing too. All right. So let combo me do it. I want to do it. Track. Do it. Okay, go, okay. Go, yeah, go. we'll both do it. We'll 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 tear, trade off. Me and Josh did a thing together. What happened was, for those of you who don't know, the same weekend that we planned this screening of New York Harker Chronicles, our man Josh Goldblum was asked to plan this horror thing for Wizard World. It was like a horror section of Wizard World. Yeah, and because to, Wizard World comic con, comic book convention was going was on going on at in the Philly. Same time. Yeah, and uh, they've been trying to expand into horror it hasn't really necessarily worked sometimes it did and that's really where the bruce campbell horror film fest started from is wizard world wanting to expand so they asked him to do this thing they gave him literally like two weeks to plan this thing yeah but josh has some sort of like magical powers where he's like oh man i don't have a lot of time well how about we do night run on street three with the director and with um, <laughs> heather langham and, and then we'll just have don docking come out and like you know play <laughs> songs and that'll just be an event and like 
of course, people flipped out. And yeah. for us, we and got don't forget to, Andre ba- Andre Gower and uh, oh right. And then it's like, well, who's going to lead the the the? the Q&A. So they were doing a live commentary during the movie. Was right. the was the attraction? Well, who's going to be a part of that? We'll, we'll just get the Monster Squad guys to just do it. <laughs> so like, if you are someone who, and I believe this this Venn diagram is probably a pretty big group of people. <laughs> I like Monster Squad and I like Dream Warriors. Oh, cool! Like this event was like for you. And then if you also like Don Dokken, I don't is, know, you like had an orgasm during this event or something. <laughs> but anyways, he. We um he actually hooked me and Evan up with Wizard World passes and then Evan is in theory he hasn't delivered me anything yet writing about the movies we saw and right. he even went to movies the next day so hopefully I'm nice. getting some reviews from Evan and it was just part of like covering the thing but he gave us both passes so we did Wizard World that day and then me and Evan and Josh and Justin Lore uh we all and Evo and Evo we and all Chris went, X. Uh yeah, Chris X got this on his own though. We didn't hook him up. Right. He just knows. He was Josh. still with us though. He was with us though. But the point is, is I was thanking Josh for hooking Cinepucks up specifically. Yeah. But also, Josh, thank you for hooking up Chris X because that meant he got to hang out too. <laughs> so we all got not only to go to this event for free. I think Justin Lord paid, but we all got to go to this event. We also got wristbands, so we got to be, I guess, backstage. Though there's not much of a backstage at Under and Arts, but what it meant was we were on the side of the stage watching this whole thing go down. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. It was so ridiculous. I didn't expect the director to be funny, and he was. Yeah, I didn't expect. I didn't uh, think Heather Langenkamp was going to be funny either, and she, she was, was totally charming. Not only was she charming and hilarious, but she has thoughts about these movies like she would be like oh this part or this is interesting or whatever like it's like her she doesn't was she wasn't just making jokes and even that some of her jokes were like i know this movie and i know what's you know what i mean like i mean granted maybe it's because it's a 30 year old movie yeah you know what i mean but i might have seen it once or twice in that but i mean more like she had a perspective on it you know she very easily could have been like i was scared or you know what i mean like just something not engaging just kind of like this part was gross but like she (laughs) knows that people know about these movies and i don't know it just felt more and then the monster squad guys were also fucking hilarious like those dudes it just felt super authentic and super fun yeah everyone was having a good time josh got boozed up i so everybody that was with us was straight edge yep except for me Mm -hmm. so i took that mantle quite seriously Mm mm-hmm and I was like, I'm going to drink all the beers. And then I did. <laughs> and, it, and how did that affect you? I was so drunk. It was so good. <laughs> it was so much fun. Now, let's, let's, Joseph, you know the deal. I'm like good, like maybe after two beers. We've had mm-hmm. a meal together where I've drank two beers. I was like, whoa, woo. Like, you know, I had like five. <laughs> I was oh, like, man. yay. There was no yarfing, though? No, nary, nary a yarf. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's at least good. I great. mean, in in my defense, I had three Lacroix. So you did. It was I was dope. I was doing it straight edge hard. Yeah. Like, and then you pulled out the tampon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> Come on, Joseph, <laughs> don't bring that shit in here, uh, dude. We had I didn't so pay much for those. Fun, though. Though. Those were from the green room, so yeah, I felt very thing, naughty. I was just like, dude, I uh, dude. Okay, so here's the thing. That day, I had received two free tickets for the Roots picnic, which I wanted to go to with my wife. Because Milani loves Solange and all, and everyone who's performing. I mean, Solange is amazing. But then, uh, drummer from Solarize, Jeff Ziga, calls me and he's like, Yo, I, Carrie can't make the Chris Rock show this evening. I have an extra ticket. Do you want to go? And Milani really wanted to go see Chris Rock. So I was like, I want to go, but Milani really wants to go. So you should take her. So Jeff took Milani. And then without Milani, I didn't want to go to the Roots picnic. I was just like, I'm just going to be home. And then this happened. And like a magical unicorn. And it was not like set up like Josh just texted me like yo can i get in so then i just text josh goldblum who is managing you know the you know what i mean like people don't 
realize that like the not great part i mean i'll let him speak for himself but the it seems to me the not great part of running something like this is not finding movies that's fun it's okay now all these characters or or actors or directors or people someone someone cares about is coming i have to make sure these people know where they're going that they have what they want it's a lot of logistical stuff and he was running this with like not a lot of help so Mm. i'm thinking i'm annoying him with this text he's not gonna be into it and he was like of course yeah tell him to come it'll be great (laughs) like so excited that you even wanted to be there dude and then it was like it was just so much fun it was it was a lot of fun it was the perfect like decompressor night that i needed like super bad with like the homies and just like doing dumb shit yeah so that so. was on track if you missed that event I, i'm just gonna let you know it was a fun event. it was super duper i didn't fun. stay for the whole docking set because i had to drive back and i had baby stuff whatever but i i heard dream warriors we heard dream warriors and i was like <laughs> was all right well there stuck. it is was this a, was this done acoustically yes oh, it was, not only was it done acoustically but my man was in full esteban gear he had a fedora on mm. and a full length trench coat that was leather and it was all he black. looked like he did look like he was uh, heading to a gunfight, and that gunfight was probably directed by Richard Stanley. Like it was like yeah. a very leathery. Sort it was of thing. great, man. He yeah. It was anyways. Awesome. The point so is, he could have played on the Antidote rock record, right? <laughs> he might did he, did he have any good chains in his open oh shirt God. and cool shit on his wrist? <laughs> so yeah, uh, same the cra- for the fight, Joseph. Okay. So the crowd was into it. Like there was one hundred seats, and there was like a whole lot of people that didn't have chairs, so a lot of people were bummed. There, but there that were, said, there were some people who left. But from what I could tell, most of the room was pretty full. And once it got yeah, going, it was people so were having much fun. fun. Like and like uh, for the doc, I thought when Dokken, when Don Dokken played that the crowd might be kind of more there, ironically. Yeah, but people were passionate about those words, and they were singing <laughs> along. There were a couple of points where Don Dokken would just like move away from the microphone and not sing, and people were like, "Yeah, Win all right." Yo, there was definitely a point during one song where he goes, okay, you guys do the high part. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's for you to do. What do you mean? We do the hard part. And then the high part came. We, we All of us were like, we're the dream. I was doing the oh, best falsetto I could do. It was so good. Oh, my God. What a time. And I got to say, so earlier in the day, I went to Wizard World with Evan. Yeah. If you follow Cinepunks on Instagram, we did some gramming from, from there. Hopefully, it didn't annoy people. But I got to say, what up to uh, Scott Cole and Adam uh, Cesar? I think that's how you say yeah. his last name. The writer. They they were selling books and they let us put Cinepunks flyers and barf bags on the table. Sweet. And people mentioned it to me later, like, yo, I saw Cinepunks flyers at Wizard World. And I was like, yeah, that's my man Adam. <laughs> like, so that was cool. Um, and uh, we then went to some movies. And so uh, this is Josh's on track, but I just want to jump in so I don't forget. As part of that, we saw two movies. We saw a movie called 68 Kill. Was it good? Um, yeah. So. Uh, the the woman from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, ah. whose name I always forget. Not the director, but the actress. Right. She's in it. Uh, and then the rest of the cast are people who I recognize but didn't know by name, but I know they've been in other sort of indie stuff or whatever. It's funny. It's irreverent, but it never... It never like is like you know sometimes when you have a movie that is sort of playing off of violence and humor it just goes overboard and you're like okay we're getting stupid now yeah it never got there it just kept being unexpected it never went for the obvious joke but it kept doing things that I was like oh gross oh man oh what oh like surprising me and that right. was worth it then the next movie was a movie called Dark Signal oh yeah How was I that? could not possibly recommend that movie no it's not terrible but it's not this great. sounds like it's terrible. It's a so it's a British film and it is trying to do too many things at once. It has some 
interesting parts, some parts that were actually effectively scary. And I would say the climax of the film is actually pretty good. But a lot of the middle, it's very convoluted. And then it has a big reveal that's so anticlimactic that you're like, Okay, I don't know why I care about that, but sure. Yeah, you tricked me. Way to go. Like, why is this a thing? You know, like it doesn't, it is so, un, it, it, it basically is like four or five pretty okay ideas all in one movie uh, such that none of them has any effect. You're just like, oh, it's another sneaky thing. Oh, way to be sneaky. Cool. Right. Um, and it tries to be supernatural and a serial killer movie and a like weird time off whatever thing. Anyways, so those are the two movies I got to see. And yeah. so I can't recommend Dark Signal, but if you get a chance to see 68 Kill, check it out. Word. I saw another on track thing that I saw was I saw It Comes at Night. I'm so jealous. I really need to see oh, it. Oh my goodness. Did you see it, Joseph? No, I haven't seen it yet. It just opened this weekend. Yeah, right? it opened yeah, this weekend. just opened. I thought it was really bleak. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the same kind of movie like, um, like, like The Witch was. It wasn't exactly a horror movie, but it's also... It's it's got this pervasive sense of dread that goes throughout the entire movie. Sure, and um, it's very disturbing. And which is to that. say, I loved it. I thought it was really yeah. really well done. It's beautifully shot. Uh, what's an Egerton? The the dude. Yeah, he's really really good in it. And um, the the guy who plays his son is probably the best part of the movie. Like, wow, he's super. Yeah. Su- he's a seventeen year old black dude living in like a post apocalyptic world. You don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But like just happened, and it's like really scary, and yeah, it's like it. It's just wow, bleak movie, really, really good. Highly recommended if you liked movies like you know The Witch. It seems like the sort of movie that makes sort of traditional horror super fans very angry. Yeah, and that makes me happy. So I'm yeah, a, it's the I'm kind of thing that like people it, that are they, don't like thinking will be like, but nothing happened. And it's like, look, man, I don't even know what to tell you, bro. Like. <laughs> You know? Either you vibe with, I mean, if you don't vibe with that, I want to make fun of you. But in reality, that's not really fair because everyone has their thing. Yeah. But it's also the sort of thing. Reality, like, if you vibe with it, then you're like, this is amazing. Yeah. 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 It's 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 the same thing. It's like there's there's no. I mean, like there's a, a phantom illness in there. Sure. There's a thing that happens. It opens with with like a death that you're like, holy shit, this is fucked up. Like fucked up, right? But then after that, there's no big monster. There's no zombies running around or nothing like that. Sure. So people that need that stuff to be scared or at least to have their minds teased in the way that would like, you know, imply certain things that are horrific. If you need that, then you're not going to get it with this movie. Okay. So. All right. That's that's good. Let's not say too yeah. much more. All right. I'm not going to say much I more than see that. It. I want to see it. I, I really do think it's a really great movie. It's Does probably, your hand taste like an ice cream cone? No. George is just. He likes. George licking. the dog. Yeah. George likes looking. That's his thing. I don't know. All right. Do you have any uh, more on tracks, or do you, or do, would you move to whack? Now? Uh, whack is uh, we'll get into the whack later. Yeah. Hmm. Shit. Yeah. It's a provocative uh, statement. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, okay. Let me jump in here, uh, and then we'll let Joseph go. Uh, the only on track thing. So we covered most of the awesome. I mean, that. Let me reiter- reiterate how awesome all that was. Um, and how much uh, I re- we really appreciate Josh Goldblum hooking us up like that, uh, and meeting the Monster Squad guys—they were super nice. I was, you know, we were kind of trying to be friendly, but also a little bit of super fanning. Yeah, and it'd be really easy to be like, "All right, nerds, back up." There but they also, like were there, super cool. There was a moment when I was talking to Evo and standing right behind him, Don Dockin was tuning his guitar mm-hmm. by ear, and I tried to take a picture. I couldn't stop laughing because I was drunk and shaky a little bit. And I didn't get the photograph, but in my mind, it's one of the greatest images of the night. (laughs) 
<laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, respect to the Monster Squad guys for not like being like, all right, nerds, leave us alone. Like they were very nice, so that was really cool. Um, even though I was like, <laughs> you were Monster Squad. Uh, anyway, so that was all great. The only other thing I've done movie wise that I want to mention is I did see Wonder Woman, and I liked it. I thought it was good. Uh, I think that. Of course, because there's been such a lack of strong female characters in a lot of superhero movies, some folks are overestimating it. You know, it's like, this is the feminist movie you've been waiting for. And I'm like, nah, it's better. It's definitely better. But uh, I don't know. It's a little too much Steve Trevor in it for me. You know, the I feel like that dude, like, it's like every time Wonder Woman does something amazing, then Steve has to, like, do something also heroic. And I'm like... I don't care about that guy. The movie's not called Wonder Woman and Her Lover. It's just called Wonder Woman. So just let her be Wonder Woman. I don't need it. It's like, oh, keep in mind, guys, Steve Trevor also knocked a guy out. It's like, Are you a Gal cool. Gadot fan? She seems all right. I mean, I don't know. I have mixed feelings on her, but she was good in the movie. I mean, she I think was also good was in Fast and the Furious. I know. Oh my just God. saying. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was glad I saw it, and I think it, it bodes well for... Uh, more films that are focused on female superheroes. I like that part of it. It made a bunch of irrational, crazy dudes angry, so I'm into that. Yeah. But well, uh, how do you feel about it in terms of the DC cinematic universe? Like everybody knows. That, I mean, like, it's clearly better than all the new ones. That's not even all those movies are bad. And defenders of them, like it's cool that you like to be an edge lord, but those <laughs> movies are bad. But uh, but is it better than like the Chris Nolan Batman movies? Yeah, I think so. I oh. for me personally, yeah. I mean, I like those movies, but I think they kind of wear out over time. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Especially love, by the third installment, you're almost like I, I don't love his pacing either. But mm. then again, I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, none of these movies are great filmmaking. You're really just like to me. You so wait. So is this reflective of your opinion on Christopher Nolan or just his Batman movies? Mostly just his Batman movies. I okay. mean, I think that. Um, his other films are okay. Like he's pretty good. I'm, I'm excited about good. Dunkirk. I'm really, it looks really okay. yeah. It looks good. I'm, I, I want to see it. When does that come out? Uh, I think it comes out next month. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm not sure. So, so. All, all that to say, I saw Wonder Woman. I thought it was good. I would definitely, yeah. if you're someone who likes superhero movies, I think you would like it. And I think actually, the place where it exceeds, the, it excels the most, which is getting talked about less than it should be is the action. It actually is like well choreographed, well directed. It feels like a superhero. Like sometimes superhero movies, they don't know how to like show a superhero taking on normal people. You know, they don't know how to make it clear like, no, this person's really strong. And so these people are like ants. Like it they, they it, it comes across almost like too balanced, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh you know, Wonder Woman kicks butt. She just destroys everyone. No one has, has a Robin chance. Wright in it. I heard she's pretty awesome in it. Yeah, she's well. pretty good. I mean, they. I, I. One of my criticisms of the movies, they don't spend enough time on Themyscira. Is that the name of the Lady Island? That is like the best. The parts where Wonder Woman's like in the real world and she's seeing how shitty men are. Duh. Like everyone knows that. Like it's not cool. <laughs> it would have been really like interesting to be like, okay, island full of women. Let's see how that works and how they get along. And you know, let's not maybe directly show, but let's hint at some queer things like there's this whole island of women and like you know there's one joke she makes later about like oh i read this ancient text and the ancient text says you don't even need men for pleasure and i'm like okay that's all we're gonna do let's there's go there's an yeah. island full of hot women like this didn't come up before now like it's cool that you made a joke but even then it's done in a way that it's like but really she likes him because steve trevor is also the hero of this movie 
And I'm like, I don't need Steve Trevor to be a hero. I'd love it if they cast some dude that was not imposing at all and is a weakling and she has to keep saving him because he can barely fight. That would have been fun. That would have been like, oh, look at her. She's got to save the idiot again. But instead, he's like also tough. Right, You're, right, the right. movie really plays like it's just because she has powers. If they both were normal people, they'd be equals. But she has powers. So she's kind of cheating because he's also great. And I'm like, he doesn't need to be great. But it's fine. Right. It's It didn't make the movie bad. I just kept thinking like, oh, we're going to spend another minute of him fighting people? No one came to this movie because they wanted to see that. We all came because we wanted to see what would kick ass. And she does. She she really does. So whatever. Is Linda Carter in it at all? God, no. That would have been cool. <laughs> that would have laughed. I love Linda Carter. She is on uh, Supergirl, though. She's the president in whatever world, whatever universe that is that Supergirl is on that TV show. She's the president. Cool. It's weird. Cool. Joseph. Oh, wait, oh are yeah. you done? Are Side you done? note, my whack is the same as your whack. Okay. Let's keep going. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my on track is I saw the Long Strange Trip documentary about the Grateful Dead at the Prince Theater. Can we, can we clarify your, your fandom of the Grateful Dead real quickly? Uh, yeah, you like the Grateful Dead. I do like the Grateful Which Dead. Which is okay, but you like like two records, right? Weren't you telling me like American Beauty and like the Working Man's Dead? No, no, they're not the only two records that I like. They were the first two records that oh, I ever liked of theirs, and right. that was sort of the gateway into them. Uh, so you're into the entire literally catalog. a gateway. No, drug. I'm not into. Was the, it no. literally a gateway drug? <laughs> Almost literally. <laughs> uh, I do not like the entire catalog. Right. Uh, I don't really care for the later '80s or most of the '80s like or the I or will the survive era. Yeah, none of none of that, and okay. uh, I don't like every performance of everything. I don't like all of the the songs. Uh, right. But there is a tremendous amount of material I do like, so I wouldn't consider myself a deadhead because I didn't tour with the dead to right, follow right. them around. And you're probably not a very good hacky sacker. No, not very good at hacky sack. <laughs> I do have uh, some tie-dyed shirts, though. <laughs> we know, um, Joseph. We know. Carry on. Yeah. Um, but I saw the documentary at The right. Prince, which was about a week before it screened on Amazon, and it was a fascinating experience to see it in the Prince Theater. is a huge, it's a beautiful be- theater. Yeah, it's a beautiful theater. Largely underused. Uh, it's not very much ever happens there anymore. Uh, and the theater was almost capacity. Is so there any reason for that? Or I don't know what... They have a strange management situation. Do, so we, want, do we really want to continue our beef with the Philadelphia Film Society on the podcast? No, this is the year of absolution. Okay, well then... Is? Yeah, it's owned by the Film Society. It's run uh, by a mutual friend oh, of ours. Okay, and uh, the, it's a been forgiven de- friend. It's this. It's been decided that uh, they're still going to keep renting it out for like dance events and stuff, and you know whatever, whatever, because there's more money in that. Yeah, the fear is if they do movies there again, they're going to lose some money. Oh, that's what it. That's what I've been. Doing. That's what it boils down to. But yeah, the Film Society owns it. The same as they own the Roxy, they own the Prince. Yeah. Okay. It was gifted to them. Well, thank goodness we don't have any beef with them anymore. No more beef. I would like to say that I do, but I don't want to detail it, so <laughs> we can leave it at that. Fair. But but seeing the, the documentary, which is four hours long, in the theater... You saw the whole four hours in the theater. I left about 45 minutes before it ended because I had to catch a bus to get home to oh, work because man. it was very late. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah And yeah. also sitting in one place for four hours is ex- a long extremely time. difficult. Yeah, yes. As the person who's made me do that multiple times... Yeah, mm-hmm. sucks. Yes, it, yeah, uh, <laughs> the princess is somewhat more comfortable than the international house. I'll at least say that. But yeah. seeing it with a capacity crowd, it was interesting to see what notes of the documentary caused people to react mm-hmm. uh, because it was um, a lot of tie dye in the audience and uh, very mixed in the age range. But certainly many older people who probably saw the band uh, when they were around. Right. right. Uh, so there were key moments that would cause people to cheer. Like the first mention of the word LSD 
Huge round of applause. <laughs> I love that people applause like as if LSD is like in the room going, thanks, guys. Thanks. I appreciate it. No, that. LSD did take a bow uh, during the uh, during the screening. And then the next thing was there was a scene of a guy walking down hate Ashbury with a kitten on his shoulder. And the, the sight of the little kitten on the guy's shoulder, that was applause. Right. And then there's a part where Jerry Garcia gets out of a, ban- a van and he says something like, oh, if everything works out, we'll be in Philadelphia next. And then people went crazy for Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> they came to Philadelphia. So Yo, I, it, I think one of the more embarrassing aspects of Philadelphia people is the cheering for any mention or even thought of Philadelphia, and yet I do it. Yeah, Anything I'm watching I that I don't time. expect Philly, and Philly shows up, I'm like, yeah! Oh, God, oh, what are those like people? Like when the Unitarian Church ended up in the Gilmore Girls in that one, yes. that one scene. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. I was into it. I cheered. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't know if lie. I cheered for that, but I was excited. Yes. I was like this. Woo! Okay. <laughs> I think Philadelphia needs all the love that it can get. So anytime yeah. that it crops up in anything, usually the butt of a joke uh, <laughs> is is welcome. So I enjoyed the documentary. It was it was nice to see it there, and it was nice to see it with that many people who were so enthusiastic about right. it. Um, the whack. I think this dovetails into the rest of our conversation, and and, and yeah. with both of you, I'll I'll say more specifically, for me the overexposure to the things that I love often causes me a sense of fatigue and causes me to distance myself from those things because I've always had a a, a very varied interest and I always felt that if I evenly distributed my attention to those things, I would be able to cherry pick what of those things I really enjoyed and ignore all of the aspects that I find to be tedious or odious or just ultimately exhausting. And if I find that I'm stuck paying too much attention to a single thing, I can see all its myriad flaws, and those flaws will become will make me feel very depressed and will cause me to distance myself from that thing that I love because it's it's too sharply in focus. Uh, and it certainly happened for me with with horror, with having to working with Diabolic and bringing in thousands of discs and being in my basement and looking at a series of covers of movies that. Uh, some of which I like and others I have no interest in or would never watch, but to look at an endless cavalcade of mutilated bodies, mostly women, and viscera and people with knives sticking out of their head and, and all this death, I just find to be uh, just fatiguing and is not what draws me to that world. I just mm-hmm. find that I just say, ugh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with this. It becomes a product that I sell as if I sold hammers. I'm sticking a hammer in a box and not another mutilated woman of the tens of thousands that, that seem to populate my basement. Uh, and then in this weekend, or last weekend, when we showed the documentary, looking at hardcore that closely reminds me of all of the elements of hardcore that I have nothing but disdain for. I mean, first of all, a lot of it, to me, seems really boring. Uh, I mean, I recall when we were watching the documentary... I was in the back in the booth with Eric watching it on a monitor, uh, and there was a part in the documentary where a guy's talking about the New York Hardcore logo, the X with the NYHC in it. And as he started talking about that, I realized that this wasn't a subject that was particularly interesting to me, the genesis of this logo, the iconic logo. So I thought that would be a good time to go pee, and then I would come back and it would be on to the next thing. And when I came back from peeing, he was still discussing this, and I just thought, oh... This is so boring to me. And when I see all of these uh, people putting on a a tough New York attitude and and people with, I don't know, neck tattoos and all of this, all of this nonsense, I just think, what is this? This has nothing to do with me or my life. I think it's so stupid and so boring. 
and I'm not speaking so much specifically of this documentary, but there were elements of that in there that caused me to think, if I were to, to become too immersed in this world again, I would probably never have anything to do with it because so much of it is, is not interesting to me, that it's best to, to keep a toe in, in different waters uh, and not to immerse oneself too far. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. The immersion is what the issue is. Do you feel that way? I would, I what is your like, feeling about well, that? Well, I mean, like, I, for a person like me, I do a lot of different musical projects. Sure. And none of them can be the same for me. I can't do two hardcore bands. I can't do two mm. non-hardcore bands. It has to be one of, like, only because the immersion is what's the issue. Sure. It's also a very limited form. Yeah. So once you, you traverse these barriers that people have erected around this form, then you're not performing hardcore anymore. Yeah. And true believers who tend to be people who've, who've built a box for themselves and then climbed inside of it and closed it will then perceive you as being outside of this thing mm-hmm. uh so it's it there's very much of self-limiting involved in that yeah well, that and, was but i think that was part of thinking a little bit about the movie i think this was that dynamic was part of what was interesting about it so what on, the the immersion of it the uh, no 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 this idea of the limitate so on one hand i think people will critique this film because it isn't performing what they think of as hardcore you know so um if you listen to, if you stick with this episode long enough to hear the Q&A, at one point, Drew Stone is talking about how one of his favorite interviews was Kirk Hammett, and that he was really glad that Kirk was part of this, and he was It's really, the question that I was prompted to ask. Yeah, he was very that's, proud. He was very that's, pr- on the, that's on the recording as well, yes, isn't it? He, he insisted we ask him so that he could tell <laughs> us about Kirk Hammett. And I think a number of people feel like, why is Kirk Hammett in this documentary? Like They, they don't care that he also happened to like some New York hardcore bands. For them, um, and I think it's a criticism, that small moment is a criticism of the movie overall, is there's something for them that is hardcore that isn't in the movie, or there's something for them that isn't hardcore that is in the movie. You you know what I mean? So like the movie could not work for some people, I think, because of either exclusion, you didn't put this thing in and it's so important, I can't believe you didn't put it in, Mm. or inclusion, why is this shit in here? This isn't what I think. And what's weird is I feel mixed about that. On one hand, I am sympathetic. Mm. Anyone making a movie like this, and this is true of all these ones we've talked about, and I think it's worth talking about the genre in general. You're making a documentary about a movement that was defined by lack of conformity, by loose boundaries, by people doing weird shit, by stuff not being cataloged well. Like Inevitably, something has to get left out. It just has to. You yeah, can't. To. The yeah. movie that would actually be here's the entire story of every band that you could possibly associate with. You know what that movie's called, Liam? What? Life. <laughs> that movie sucks, dude. <laughs> it'd, it'd be so boring. That's such a boring. It's but, so long. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's so long. But you know what I mean. So, so. But but sometimes it is a political exclusion, and that's I think right. what the real issue is. Is not so much that there wasn't an issue of time, because if I, I think it's an issue of electing to ignore certain things that don't fit into the, quote, New York hardcore. Well, that's unquote. what I would say is that um, acknowledging that yeah. then allows me to say, but that making those decisions is a skill. And I don't know from my perspective that that skill was utilized very well, that certain things were left out that were pretty important. And some things were obvious. So if you listen to the Q&A, the response around ABC No Rio not being in the movie. Right. 
is to me uncomfortable. That whole section is uncomfortable yeah. and embarrassing. It's and brutal. Things, things are said. Well, I mean, let, well, let's whatever, let's firstly whatever. define our terms here. Like Joseph, what is your relationship with New York New York hardcore going into this? Sure. Uh, as a teenager, I went to New York for shows. I went to the, some of the CB's matinees, the yeah. Gorilla Biscuits, and some of the you know straight edge hardcore bands. Um, it's a long time ago for a 21 year old, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, I was only four, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like the little mascot in the corner, and I everybody thought yeah. I was cute. I'd sit on people's shoulders and stuff. People fed you cookies. It was, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but but the same thing that distanced distanced me from New York was something that I had issues with with Philadelphia, which was. The amount of violence and how people, some people were so gleeful about that, and all of the really cool people that I saw coming into it who were very enthusiastic, who were immediately pushed out or pushed to the periphery because they didn't want to take part in that or just couldn't. You know, sure. Um, but what did you love about it? But what I loved about it for me was, I mean, I did like a lot of those bands, but what really wound up hitting me was ABC when that came on the scene. Uh, how they provided what I thought was a true alternative to that. The people there were very smart, uh, very funny, very inviting. Uh, They made a very friendly scene that was the exact opposite. It was all, at first, I think it was all a reaction to New York hardcore, and then it became truly its own thing and produced bands that I think are fantastic and really iconic Bands. I mean, Born Against, Rorschach, Citizens Arrest. I mean, these were fantastic bands, and Nausea played there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so for me, in watching this documentary, I wanted to see them at least mentioned, uh, because it is an individual's vision. I mean, it is Drew Stone's film of New York Hardcore, and you can take that for, for what it's worth. But... It becomes political, I think, when something's excluded and not even given a mention, as if to say, this wasn't the real New York hardcore. What we did was the real New York hardcore. So, like, as he says in the, um, the Q&A, when someone asked about skating, like, oh, uh, you know, when we were from New York, we didn't skate, we hit people on the head with hammers. It, I mean, that, that, that kind of uh, performance of what the New York person does is, to me, is really embarrassing. It comes over as, as really contrived and performative. And uh, when I asked him about New York, about ABC in the booth while the movie was still running, because I was curious as it was moving along if it was going to appear, and he said due to time constraints, uh, he wasn't able to put it in there. But it seemed like when we um, asked him about it on the stage that he took a different approach, and you can see that it was a dismissive approach. Well, and what I was getting to, I didn't get to finish my point, which was that... I'm sorry. Which was that um, you could knowing something about the director or watching the movie, I could actually see they're not going to do ABC No Real. Like I could kind of see that happening and I could maybe be prepared. But there were so many things that were left out that actually fit the theme. And then when he was, you know, like there was some question about who didn't get to be in the movie and some of the people that he was kind of dismissive of, I thought, well, that's weird because they seem pretty important. But even like we never heard about like almost any band that was on the New Breed comp which I would say, like, all the stuff going on in the New Recomp, it kind of precedes ABC a little bit, but it's still connected, I think, to New York Hardcore. Yeah. Not a single band was directly mentioned that was on that comp. Wasn't Outburst mentioned? And- no, so that's the thing. We Outburst, we saw the, the 
the, the logo, the logo a million times because they were talking about graffiti, but no one stopped to go. You know what band was good? Mm. Outburst. Or hey, how about that Life's Blood? Or you know Raw Deal and then Killing Time. <laughs> like these are to me are like huge names in traditional New York hardcore. Yeah. You don't even have to be like you could even be politically prejudiced in some way against ABC No Rio and still mention more bands. Even what was strange to me too is even when we when they did the thing on Sick of It All. It was a, more about Sick of It All still being around and still being a band than it was about where Sick of It All started and some of the controversy they did have with other bands or their relationship to, you know, we have this huge youth crew section and like Sick of It All played with a lot of youth crew bands. Like that was a connection there, but we didn't really hear as much about that. So again, I, I in some way, I don't want to be nitpicky. You know, I don't want to be that person, but I my review of the movie is like, wow, some of the things that were left out, I don't understand why they were left out. Some of the things that I do understand why they were left out, I would have put in because that's what I think is also important. And some of the things that were included, we spent a lot of time on crossover, which I found yeah. interesting for the first few minutes and then it just kept going and I was yeah. like, why are we spending so much? I think that part of the reason probably why you saw that was because Antidote, the band, went on to make corny rock music uh, and oh, and God. and thus, you know, was uh, people I, I, are going to get so mad at us. <laughs> oh, man. But guess what? It's true. It's also. Honest, I mean, a lot so. of people uh, become skinheads when the hair falls out of their head. Like they can't grow long woman hair anymore, like rock hair. So then, you know, then they adopt the skinhead look, not because they are skinheads, <laughs> but because the hair is no longer growing from their heads. I am one of these. No longer capable of growing beautiful hair, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, but your toupee is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no one knows what I look like anyway, it's fine. Just I mean, George on To some head. extent, it definitely <laughs> makes sense because there's a relationship in this, the crossover description of Biohazard, but um, it, it, to me, still went a little long, and even giving respect to Biohazard is one of those New York bands that like exploded... Um, it would have been interesting to spend a little bit of time directly addressing the ways that that band took what was in some ways related to New York hardcore and sort of brought it into new spaces. And it was interesting when I asked Danny about that in the Q&A, he was less like, oh yeah, we were so hardcore and we brought it into these. He was more like, nah, man, we went to everything. So to me, us opening for a metal band was fine because I went to metal shows. Us opening for a rock band was fine. He's like, I was I was seeing Soundgarden at Lemoore. So like, Playing an alternative show was not weird for me because that we smushed it all together, mm. and I don't think that that came across as much in the movie, or at least it was only hinted at. So, I and I would know. certainly say that that would be true because I know that from when I saw shows in the in the eighties and the early nineties yeah. that all these sort of bands did often play together, yeah, and totally. it wasn't much of I mean, it was heavy, fast music, right. and there wasn't that much of a difference for some people. I mean, there's certainly folks who who were in very particular camps, but sure. there are other people who just wanted to hear you know something that was fast and loud. So, I mean, I think. Um, there are some things about the movie that we didn't love, but I did, I did want to ask, and I think you sort of got at this. So, Joseph, it seems like your suggestion is, and I don't know if you want to apply this to all these documentaries, but any opportunity to focus too much on one scene, especially because in order to cover that scene, you inevitably define it, you limit it, when it, those limitations are always false. It was always bigger than your movie. Every scene is bigger than your movie. Um, for you, it's like, we're focused on it too much. All I can see when I focus that hard are the negatives and not the stuff that I also love. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I, I'm thinking, I love some of these movies. Like, they're great. But is it oversaturation? Is it getting to the point where we have to make these movies more and more obscure because 
there's not that much more to cover or I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if I'm getting a fatigue and I, and I'd say that not to dismiss the movies we've covered. Like I really enjoyed salad days a, a lot. Well, I, th- I think salad days provides a really excellent contrast because I felt that that was a very inclusive movie sure. that made sure that everybody was well represented in an organic way, not in a contrived way, but in an organic way. Sure. And I thought that it just overall came over as more positive. Yeah. And, um, so I had a much better feeling coming out of that than coming out of this experience, which attempts to define, and I mean, it says that it doesn't define all of New York hardcore, but it's, right. not, it's not focusing on a microcosm. It's meant to focus on New York hardcore and to see significant portions missing and not even mentioned is, is what draws a question to my mind. What do you think, Josh? I mean, Salad Days, had, that's the one that had the whole part about Go-Go in there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. see? Like that to me, or even the new breed doc that had all the talk about the subways and like hip hop and the synergy between hip hop and hardcore. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel as though to make a good documentary, you have to get the whole picture, hmm. right? And most of the music documentaries that we've seen have either focused on like one particular individual, like the Jabriath movie. Did you guys see the movie about Jabriath? No. Yeah. He was um, a glam singer in New York City from like, and they followed his whole career and everything. And, um, it's so much more of an inclusive picture when you see how that piece fits into the greater picture of the puzzle, which is that time and that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you need a, you need a sense of context to put yeah. somebody. You can't just you can't folk. just be like Jabriath. He was in hair. Like yeah. it's like not as interesting if you don't really understand like the presence of like you know LGBT people in that music scene in that time. You know what I mean? And like his place in that. You know. So um, as far as I mean, as far as this movie goes, it was definitely very myopic for me. And um. Yeah, I think the problem with a lot of the micro docs is they're not necessarily made by filmmakers. They're made by people who kickstarted the program and have uh, a digital recording device mm-hmm. and can can do rudimentary editing where they can have talking head stock footage, talking head stock footage, and then that becomes the documentary with or without narration. So they're not a, they're often not a very creative form, uh, and the mm-hmm. form I think is really exhausting because it's not just within hardcore or underground music, but I mean you can see you can go on Netflix and see innumerable micro docs that don't have a lot of great creativity behind them, mm-hmm. um, and that I think is the cumulative effect of that is it's just exhausting. I mean I do think that, and I've made this point before. Sometimes a documentary can work even if it's not, you know, super interestingly made if it's made economically and it has a really great compelling story so i've definitely seen some docs where i'm like you know nothing about this stands out but the story is so good and it's economic they don't waste your time they don't you know what i mean like it whereas i've seen other documentaries that are like a work of art that like eat the subject i don't even i didn't even know i cared about this until i saw this doc and it's like i think with this particular film and i don't want to spend too much time critiquing the movie but I, i i do think that um uh, it felt to me, and I and I think this is true, right? That the New York Hardcore Chronicles, and it's telling that the movie's called the New York Hardcore Chronicles film. The New York Hardcore Chronicles exists as a website on which Drew has documented a lot of interviews and a lot of things. And you'll notice if you watch this movie that the chapters are kind of out of order. They're just like yeah. chapter eight. He explained it 22. as like you know he's just shuffling the deck and then giving it up. Yeah, and then putting things together. And I think that. Um, he does manage to create some sort of through way in doing that. But I think the movie suffers a little bit because there's probably things that we would think are interesting that are covered 
Like, I think he's been filming so much stuff that then doesn't make it into the movie that, like, could have been interesting to do. But I also think his style is very much he's in the movie. Like, he's present as, like, and I don't just mean physically present. Like, there's a couple times where you see him or whatever. But I think his voice as to what he thinks is interesting is very present. So you have to make a decision as a viewer whether you're with him or not. Whereas other of these movies, sometimes it feels more like I'm just cover. I'm just following the thread of what my subjects have given me. And yeah. I might not know shit about this. And we've, we've even had this conversation because we've talked to people about doing one of these micro docs or having it there. And like, I think you could be a filmmaker who only knows a little bit, you know, in fact, I would lift up the, it's going to blow movie. When yeah. we talked to the director, a lot of things he covers in that movie, he didn't know about. Yeah. He started he this as like a, let's look at this it. one little scene. And then he's like, wow, there's a lot more here than I knew existed. And now it's like he knows all these things that he would have had no idea. Yeah. And I think that the process of discovery can add a certain freshness yeah, to the viewing exactly. because the certain, viewer you know, yeah. may come in in the same way. Right. And you can feel the, the joy, the pleasure of, of this thing unfolding before sure. you. Sure. Well, that's the other thing too, right? Like these other the, – like specifically that it's going to blow a movie, it starts at a point and there's a storyline that you can follow till the end. That like It goes from Crash Worship and Pitchfork all the way to Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu, right? Like There's a, there's a linear progression. Mm-hmm. So, so to that end, as a, as a film appreciator, as a movie appreciator, it's interesting to see that generation to go from one point to the other. But you are having a weird balance there because it works as a film. I think if you are a San Diego hardcore nerd... The fact that uh, Unbroken is not a big part of the movie might bum you out, but mm-hmm. as a movie, it works. Like yeah. watching the movie, if they had spent too much time on Unbroken, I'd be like, "Yeah, but this doesn't. They don't fit with the rest of the story you're telling." Yeah. So like, I could appreciate it that way, but I think if someone came to me, they're like, "You, know, I heard that San Diego movie. Am I going to hear about Unbroken?" Or even like, we spent a little bit of time with the dude, the Locust dude. Yeah, but it, but Pearson. if you're obsessed with Pearson. This is not the Pearson worship movie, you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that it's it's a weird. I think those filmmakers are in a weird space because you have to both be good at telling a story, but then you also have to wonder: Am I in leaving anything out, pissing off someone, even if for my story it it isn't there, it isn't necessary? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that would be. I mean, it's it's worth keeping that in mind. For me, I really liked it's going to blow, um, and I really liked having that conversation with the director. But I could definitely know that there are people who watch that movie and be like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, no, I'm broken in here. I mean, it's in there a little it's bit. It's in there. But it's you not like, Robin, for but... some people, you say San Diego, and they immediately are just like, I'm broken, I'm broken. You know, like, they <laughs> don't they don't care about yeah. Drive Like Jehu or or uh, Rock from the Crypt or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, so, I think that pretty much covers music Whacking on track. Stuff. Oh. And Whacking on track. <laughs> Whacking on track ended a while ago. We've already been talking about our feelings on music documentaries. I think it's worth sort of talking about how the actual Q&A went because um, that's what you're about to hear. So this episode right. from, you know, in a little bit, we're going to have a break and we'll go into it. And uh, well, I mean, I could I could set this up. If yeah, you want set it up and ex- just explain sort of like what it was like and what our expectations were and whatever. I mean, we've all hosted events before, so yeah, the, the, yeah. quite a few so, times. At this so point. it's it's not as if none of us have never done this before or would give off the feeling that we've never done it before. So yeah, if, we're in, all in, pretty confident in what we're doing. Right. So what we have is a setup where there's six chairs on the stage. Uh, we were Mike Judge was supposed to be there. Uh, so actually, one of you was going to be in the I audience. I was going to be in the crowd. Okay. Okay, and then the two of us were going to be yep. on the stage. Um, Judge didn't turn up. I have a feeling that he was probably never going to turn up. And I mean, it was just 
I don't want to say. I mean, I, uh, again, I, I I'm not trying to start anything with anybody, but it is sad because a number of people came because they thought Mike Judge was going to be yeah. there. We put it on the flyer because we thought Mike Judge. Was this was there. a fifteen dollar screening, which is yeah. excessively expensive for, for a, a single documentary for yeah. Philomoka and for just watching a you know a, a micro doc. And it's something that one could view streaming for four ninety nine now, which wasn't the case when we booked it. So yeah, at the time, it, as it the Philadelphia like the week before, right? So as the it was supposed to be the Philly premiere, which would have implied that one couldn't see it in other platforms prior yeah. to our screening. Uh, and then it went live, as you say, a week before for for four ninety nine. In contrast to our fifteen dollars. Uh, and I think that part of the reason why people wanted to pay that much money to see it was because they wanted to see the guest and have the Q and A. I think that Mike Judge would have been a significant part of that audience, yeah. but he wasn't there. Um, as moderators, our job is to introduce the guests yep. uh, and then ask them questions um, and then go to the audience and have the audience ask them questions and make sure that the questions are understood, that they speak succinctly and clearly, and that everyone knows what's going on. What we were faced with, in contrast, was... Uh, Drew Stone and the two guests going onto the stage, and then rather than us being able to introduce them and begin this process, uh, Stone's chair was in effect turned somewhat away from us, so he faced the two guests and away from us and immediately began talking and, and interviewing them, and I have to say, in effect, interviewing himself right. in front of the audience. I mean, as you pointed out, he he fed us questions at some points, and we were put in the awkward position as the moderators of interjecting into a conversation his, that was his, happening. His, yeah, his his active conversation in front of the audience, uh, which is not what we should have been doing. Right. Um, but part of the issue is that we know that these people have paid money, and we could forcibly move this in another direction. But it creates a very awkward dynamic for the audience, and um, you know, it's our job to just have this go as smoothly as possible for those people. And if afterwards we want to talk about what we thought about the thing. As we are doing now, I think that that's perfectly acceptable. But for the sake of a paying audience, your job is to facilitate this event to go as smoothly as possible. And you to show them the respect. A good show. Yeah, they paid fifteen dollars. They did get you know two guests and and the director, and they did speak. And the fact that we didn't get to run it in the way we wanted to isn't necessarily that important to the audience. But I do think it creates an event that runs more smoothly and efficiently. And is the way that those things are supposed to run. I mean, otherwise, yeah. we I could go home. Yeah, otherwise, you know? we really had no point in being there. Yeah, I mean, we're not there to facilitate the Drew Stone show. It's not his live talk show like Phil Donahue, mm. and then we're somehow guests well, who have I, somehow appeared I on the stage. I think that was the miscommunication, is that I don't think, in interacting with him, I don't think he, I don't think he made an accurate choice of, this is what they expect, but guess what? I'm going to do this instead. It didn't even occur to him that we would do that. That this is just everything. This is what he does. He shows up with his movie. He brings a guest. Apparently, some of those guests are not happy to be there. It turns out, but uh, but but surely he's attended a film festival or another event before, both as a participant and as a viewer, yeah. to see how a moderator guest dynamic I, is. The to way function. he described it to me, no one else. He, that he had done this movie at at least had had done that that he's just run everything himself, and so I don't think he expected us to do that. The thing about it that is frustrating to me though is that though he might not have expected it, we did say it like because he said, "Well, I just do my own thing," and I was like, "Cool, cool, cool, that's great," 
but we'll at least introduce you and say like who we are and you know whatever whatever and then we'll have some questions and then the audience will have some questions so the part about it that was a little bit surprising to me is like I very specifically wanted him to know we were going to do that. And then that kind of went out the window and I was like, okay, well that's fine. It is what it is. We're superfluous. It's not my favorite, but whatever. But then the Q and a to me took a turn, not just when he took it over, but then the questions he was asking weren't my favorite per se. Like, I don't think he got it. Some of the stuff that sort of made sense. And then some of the questions that were asked were asked to panel the two guests and he also would have a lot to say about that. And I, I, in my head, I would think, well, that question wasn't really for you. That was for yeah. that person. So it's strange that you were also then talking talking during that time, too. But again, I mean, people do that. I, I want to be forgiving of the sense that, like, maybe he's nervous or maybe he's this or maybe he's that. But I still want the listening audience to know, like, we were there. We were on the stage. So if you don't hear <laughs> yeah. it, it's not like we <laughs> left the building. And two, like... If you're like, wow, this is not necessarily what I wanted from this Q and A. It's not necessarily what we wanted either. Yeah, and, and, I, and f- I was a little frustrated at the end of the night. And I think, that, well, I mean, at least what I heard from people who were in the audience is that they were very aware of that dynamic. They could see what was happening and thought that it was funny. I mean, I could see certain people look at me and give me a certain look, like, ha ha ha. We we see what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, and if, and and it looks like he's masturbating in public, which is just yeah. embarrassing. Uh, so it's so it's not as if if one does this. It's not going to be noticed. It's noticed. Yeah. It's noticed. Yeah. Joseph kept on sighing. <laughs> I, I really wasn't consciously <laughs> doing that. It was so brutal, man. I was sitting next to you. You're like... <sighs> I was just thinking, like, I could go home and read a book or go to sleep. Or, you know, I could do anything else. Well, I, I am completely superfluous. I serve no I just, function here. Again, and it has nothing to do with my ego. It just has to do with... We've entered into a contract to do something, thing, yeah. and when that something is then removed, why am I here? Yeah. Well, and, and that was part of my frustration in that we sold something. I mean, we didn't just put this in together. We no, promoted it, and we, we sold we it as a thing. We promoted it, and we sold it with Mike Judge, you know? And that was yeah. a huge thing. Like, my friend Pat, it was his birthday, and Judge is his favorite band. Yeah. So for his birthday... It was going to be birthday, really important to him to be there to see Judge. And, and, he, and he, Pat Pat kind of looks like Mike Judge, in a sense. So, we yeah, the, so the thought was, yeah, let's just put him up on stage. stage. Yeah. He'd probably be more coherent <laughs> and probably friendlier. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I love Pat very much, and I wanted very much to give him this birthday gift. That he can't, he, he didn't do any other plans. That was his plan for his birthday. Hang out with us, and it, that that broke my heart. And I think that again, and I don't want without to, explanation. I also want to add. I mean, that was there was no, there's no guarantee that Mike Judge was ever actually going to come. So that's frustrating. Um, I have nothing against the other two guests that were there, but we also didn't hear much from them. So that was part yeah. of my frustration. Is like not only do we not have Mike Judge, who I think has a lot to say and a lot of us would want to hear what he has to say and yes there's that judge documentary on vice or some shit but for the most part we haven't heard that much from mike judge it'd be cool to hear more from him especially in relationship to this movie that would be neat um but we still have one of the guys from antidote one of the guys from biohazard Biohazard. two bands that while they maybe aren't as big as judge are still important bands and we didn't hear that much from them either and yeah, I don't want to hear. Kind of bum me out. It's it's frustrating to hear what almost starts to become a monologue. Like it's like uh, swimming to Cambodia, but it's, it's swimming to Brooklyn or something. You know, a hardcore Spalding Gray. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, 
I, again, we are not. Let me be clear here. I am the most. I feel the most diplomatic about this thing. So You've I'm handled gonna, yourself. You won't so get hit in the head with a hammer like they do in New York <laughs> that's, when I you mean, skateboard. That's not, that's not my. That's not my concern. But I do want to say, like, um, I didn't think it was. The whole thing was whatever. Like I'm not like, oh, what a waste of our time, whatever. To be fair, like, a lot of people came up to me and said that they enjoyed themselves. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think yeah, and was, I should also add. I mean, I did enjoy parts of the movie. I liked seeing yeah. some people speak, yeah. and I liked the story. I mean, I I don't hate well, the movie. Well, it's funny the example you brought up about the New York hardcore thing because for me, I'm a big fan of the abused, and that was the only time we got to hear from someone from the abused. So I was like, okay, well, that's cool. Uh-huh. Um, and personally, I really do think that so many places rip off that like that icon came from somewhere that wasn't just something floating in the ether yeah, no, so it was like just a, hey, oh, I'll add New York I'll add NY and HC to this common symbol we all know about that motherfucker invented something that now people who will never hear a New York hardcore band are still ripping off because they just don't know they don't right. know that that came from a, a space so to me that is kind of interesting and no I'm I was I was happy to see that touched on I guess my, my thing personally and, and again personally sure. was that I didn't feel like it was something that needed to be covered for the length of beyond my urination and going to the bathroom <laughs> and coming back. Like that just seemed to be too sure, yeah. too long of a time, especially in the end when I saw all of the things that weren't there while that could be there. Include and Agreed, yeah. also, you know, guy from Metallica seemed like a little star fuckery where you got access to somebody who is very famous, but there's there's probably someone else who could fill that slot well, that would be more insightful. It's also not that revelatory. If you are a Chromax fan, you've seen the pictures, you know that Metallica lights Chromax. We all fucking know it. Mm-hmm. It's like adding it in the movie, like, look, here's Kirk Hammett actually acknowledging that they like Chromax. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people like yeah. Deja Quarrel. It's a great record. Let's move on with our lives. Like my other favorite thing is the picture of Kurt Hammett wearing the rocket from the Crypt trip. But that's not, neither here nor there. <laughs> that's just because you love rocket. From I the do. Crypt they're so my much. favorite band. You're such a crazy I person. Know, I hate that I band. Know, I um, I, though I have seen them twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, okay. So the point I'm trying to make though is not again to saying like this or that about the movie, but just sort of saying like um, there were people who came who are looking for something that didn't happen. And there are people who are going to listen to this episode. And if we didn't say anything, they might think, Oh, I'm going to hear Mike judge. Or they might think, Oh, there's going to be an episode of Cinepunks. And like, we, I think we have an obligation because Cinepunks is something that people, it usually follows a pattern to be like, Hey guys, what you're about to hear is not an episode of Cinepunks. So this is the longest disclaimer of all time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just saying it, you know, but I do, but I do want to, is the disclaimer now longer than the, than actual, the actual episode? Yeah. <laughs> Quick, quick check here. <laughs> yes, it is currently longer than the actual, episode. and it's still not over. It's still not over. <laughs> so we're gonna to say we're gonna wrap up, but I, but I do think that uh, I'm saying that not because I'm that worried about it, but just so people know, like, hey, and I, and I think it's still kind of amusing the Q and A, but I do think it's not what we wanted to deliver. It's definitely we not promised, a punk episode. Basically, we were promised something, and we're not delivering that thing, and that's all I really wanted. Yeah, to say. we promised a live podcast event, and it was definitely not that. No. But I, again, um, you can apparently stream this movie for five dollars, so you know it might be worth checking it out. On Amazon, yeah, it's on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, right? uh, iTunes, iTunes, probably. <laughs> sure, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, um, and like and like Joseph said, there were definitely parts of the movie that I really liked. It's just you know, as a film podcast, we've covered a bunch of these movies that fit both punk and our films, and this is not my favorite of those. Yeah, this will probably be the last one for a while, anyway. I think the last one that we host and put our like we made this we really sold this event 
And I think in the future, I'd like someone else to host it, and we'll just go and yeah, watch the movie. That'll be fine. You know, at the end, I thought I think I've had enough of of presenting documentaries related to the yeah, subject. I thought and then, the same way. Too. But then I went home and I saw that there's. I don't want to mention exactly what it is because it will probably happen. But there was another documentary that would fall into a similar world that is of a part of punk that I like that looks like it might be pretty good. And I thought, oh well, maybe I'll. I mean, I'd actually even talked to the director you before. You can't when it was give in, it up, Joseph. Yeah, you're addicted. Please. You're addicted. Joseph, you got to admit there's a problem first. That's how you fix it. It looks pretty promising, though. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. This one's not going to hurt oh, me. Oh, man. We're chasing the documentary rock dragon. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> I still have to say super thank you to Philomoka. Super thank you to everyone who came out. Super thank you to Crash Bang Boom. Yeah. Um, and super thank you to the guests who did come. Like, yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, it, it, even if the conversation was exactly what we wanted, it was cool to have them there. And they did say some stuff that I thought was interesting. No, so and I talked sure. to uh, Nunzio both before and after, who was a really nice guy and super gave me nice gave me a record. So I'm mean, a fantastic person. I, I know, wish I could have talked to him a bit more. I'm not going to lie. If Nunzio had shown up with... Uh, the first antidote seven inch, I would have paid him whatever he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> it's discogs for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, it's it's so on much. Spotify. Don't worry about me. Yeah, I know. I do listen to You're it on right. Spotify all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah. So thanks everybody uh, that was involved. Thanks to those that came, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this episode and enjoy the Q and A, uh, and and we'll come back with our our podcast next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked for a while about yeah, stuff. It's, it's cool. A, yeah, it's, it's basically us. a Cinepunks totally episode. Us. It's good. Basically. Basically. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Thank you for having me. You can <laughs> listen to my own podcast if you'd like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anything you want to plug, uh, Joseph? Uh, I do Loud Fast Philly. So if you want to listen to yeah. that, it is on the Cinepunks yeah. podcast yeah. network. Yeah. And uh, it has awesome t-shirts. Yes, oh, which, true, true, true. please buy them. Um, my Exhumed Films has a 3D marathon coming up uh, next month. The 3D, I think, is now finally completely perfected. Harry Guerrero of Exhumed Films was at our screening last night working with a new lens set up to try to, to achieve perfection, which for Harry is, is nearly impossible because perfection is, is always the absolute yeah. unattainable goal. Yeah. But uh, it's looking very promising. I mean, he's come up with a, with a pretty amazing system. That's really great. Yeah, I'm really excited about that 3D festival. Yeah. And he'll be taking that, I believe, into some other places in the future. Oh, but I think so that's good. that's obviously for him to announce. Uh, but uh, I think that's the only event that I have uh, coming up now. Josh, any shows? Yeah, uh, August twenty. Or no, ju- this is June. June twenty third. My new band Kochiyama is playing with um, Sunstroke and Disappearances at the Pharmacy. Uh, June twenty fifth, Solarize is playing at the Lava Space for a Lava Space benefit with Sheila, Sheena, and the Nosebleeds, and um, another band. I, I don't, I can't recall their name right now. So that's coming up. Um, yeah, that's happening. So July first, I'm playing a solo show with Early Riser and the Homeless Gospel Choir, and then and Judge. And yeah, Mike Judge is supposed to be there. It's gonna be great. <laughs> be the uh, Mike Judge Blues Band. Yeah, Old Smoke. Oh my gosh, it's, it's Josh Alvarez and Old Smoke. It's gonna be hard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just a bunch of shows coming up. Yeah, what if we just put Mike Judge on like every set of Pucks event coming yeah. up? It's like, it's like we already like, did yes, deliver one. There's just, just as much of a chance of him turning up to, to the next one as the previous one. <laughs> oh, and the other thing is, Cross Keys are finishing up our recording on Tuesday. So sure. um, look for the new Cross Keys record coming out relatively soon. Yay! Sounds good. About. Yes. So that's what I got. I don't have anything to hype up. Are you giving a sermon tomorrow at church? 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> Come on, I read this on the internet. It's you wrote true. it. It has to be true. <laughs> it is. I well, just some church. I'm filling in at a church near me. Whatever. It doesn't That's matter. awesome. It is what it is. Maybe you can sing a happy birthday to nobody. Hey, it's my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. (laughs) All right, that's it. (laughs) Goodbye. Smoke bomb. I love you. Two people, one movie, so many opinions. Welcome to the mandate. Only on Cinepunks.com. Under the black sun there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I, I kind of like it. You know, I could still watch it and enjoy it. You know, it's, it's kind of rare. Um, are we good? Let me uh, introduce yeah, some on. friends. Nunzio from Antidote and Danny Schuler from Biohazard. Come up. Come on up. I, I hope you all can hang out. I want to sign a poster for you, and, and, and I want you to go home with something, you know? Um, yeah, we're good to go. Well, so, uh, well, first, first, I want to say that if it wasn't for these two guys, this film wouldn't have gotten made. Um, this is one of my uh, one of my uh, oldest friends. I've known him my whole adult life. Um, one day, one night at the A7 in 1983, when I was in the High and the Mighty, we dumped out into Tompkins Square Park, and I met Nunzio uh, smoking a joint in the park at like two in the morning, and I eventually joined Antidote and. Uh, you know, this is the... Uh, we weren't the straight-edge band at all. <laughs> There's nothing straight-edge about us uh, in the Lower East Side. And, of course, another one of my uh, dear, dear friends who, uh, and I'll always be grateful, and I know they don't want to hear it, but they put me on back in the day, and they took me around the world, and, and they really uh, gave me a big break as a filmmaker as I did the, the first five Biohazard videos. So Danny Schuler from Biohazard. Yeah. So... So, yeah... Uh, you know, let's uh, we'll we'll kick it a, a little bit uh, back and forth, but but Nunes, like, and this is just stuff stuff that um, 
that resonates for me in the film, stuff that I really, you know, connected with in the film. But, you know, I, I love the bit in the film when you talk about how, like, you know, uh, back then there was no internet. You know, the, this right. is how we, when the, the graffiti stuff, this is how we communicated. Give me a little take on that. Well, you know, we had to do it the hard way, uh, putting up flyers with the wheat paste and writing graffiti, writing our name on walls all over. That's how we did it. That's how we got known, you know, in our little, little world in New York City back then. There was, you know, there was no, there was no Facebook, there was no internet, and it was, uh, it was graffiti, and it was, it was flyers, and, and, and it was, uh, and, and it was really, it, it was really uh, word of mouth. Yeah, in the beginning, it was a very small scene. Yeah, the, give me small. a little take on the, 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 the and, and I know like Roger and Vinny says it uh, in the film, like, you know, it, it was 30 people, right, at yeah. the A7. Like, there might have been 50 or 100 people in the entire scene back then. Right. New York scene. How about the thing we always talk about, about uh, seeing Agnostic Front pushing their equipment down Avenue Way? Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> they used to push their equipment in, on like a wheelbarrow thing down, down First Avenue. Right. Yeah, right. to the A7 Club. Right. Uh, and, and, and Danny, uh, is, is that the first time you've seen the film? Yes. First time? Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's good to see all your friends. In the, you know, it's like... Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, you know... Uh, you guys, um, you guys uh, brought it around the world, man. You really did. And in 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 uh, in the film, you know, it's acknowledged that you, you guys gave so many bands so many breaks early on, you know. And so many of us are so appreciative of it, you know. And we didn't we didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> we were just hooking up our friends with shows, you know. what I mean, we had an opportunity. The band got a little popular, and then, you know, we had an opportunity to go, and we were like, "Yo, you guys want to go to Europe?" You know, who else was going to take Marauder anywhere, you know? So somebody had to do it. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it was, it was a cool thing to do back then. That was our whole thing was like, we just wanted to turn people on to the music that inspired us to be a band. You know what I mean? We, we were going right away, like when Biohazard first started, we were going to Europe in 1990. And um, a lot of kids there hadn't seen a lot of bands from, you know, the East Coast of the United States. And we were like, yo, if you think this is cool, you got to see what's going on back, what used to go on back in New York, you know? So, you know, that was the thing. We just wanted to turn people on to it. That was it. We didn't intend to do anything. I think, I think uh, and I know, that a big part of it, too, is when, when we did the early videos, when we did the punishment video, it was really inspiring to a lot of people who said, wow, you know, like, you know, we got to get, we got to ramp up our game a little bit. And, you know, as, as a direct result of, of and, uh, you know, the punishment video, if you might remember, you know, we're all going over the Brooklyn Bridge and all that. And that, that, um, that played on Headbangers Ball at the time like 14 weeks in a row. And that was a big fucking deal, you know? What's that? Right, you know? I still, you know, I still love that video. You know, some, some things are just, you know. We were winging it in that video. <laughs> <laughs> that was all you in Paris, man. Like, let's go on the fucking Brooklyn Bridge and uh, set your drums up on the bridge. Let's, you know. And all this stuff. You sure we could do that? Yeah, yeah we'll be all right. It was, it was, <laughs> you know, forget it. Was it. it was a lawless time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, you know. Couldn't do it now. Oh, sure. hell no. Couldn't do it now. Oh, hell no. Oh, God, no. You can't even, no. Um, thing, th things, things, things have changed. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I think that, you know, you know, part of the whole thing is how, look, and this is how, and this is like the succession of events, how it goes down. You know, like, you know, um, I'm I'm singing in the High and the Mighty. 
and we're doing shows. And some of the first shows that we you know, played was with the Cromax, before even John Joseph was singing, right? Who was the original? Um, Eric Casanova. Casanova. Right. So, I mean, the High and the Mighty would play with the Cromags. We needed to borrow a guitar amp. That's how I met Paris Mayo, the guitar player of the Cromags. I was working in a movie equipment rental house. He was studying to be a cameraman. He approaches me one day and says, hey, there's a band that's asking me, you know, uh, do a video. You know, you want to do it with me? Yeah. And like, you know, that's how we fell into the biohazard video. And then, you know, things really, things really took off from there. But, you know, it, a lot of it is all like, you know, from you know, all being in the foxhole together, so to speak, and, 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 and things, things, uh, things jump off from there. But, you know, uh, another thing, Danny, is, is just, God, you guys just took it all around the world so early on. And, and, and I, was, I, I was around for a lot of that ride. And it, it was really magical. And, and it, was, it was really special. Um, did you guys, you know, uh, kind of um, decide that, hey, we want to bring this thing to every, as far deep as, as, as we as possibly? We were just winging it. Like I said, you know, we had no plan. You know, uh, you know, not to talk about our band too much. There's a lot more than that. But, hey, you know, you know. <laughs> we, we got lucky. We were part of a scene in Brooklyn. It was a different scene than what was going on in the Lower East Side. And uh, we had our own club, Lamar's. You know, you could make a movie about that place. You know, the bands that came through there and the scene we had. Yeah, I don't blame you. But, uh, uh, you know, so we were, we were part of, of, of a thing that kind of had a life of its own yeah. at that time. And, you know, if you remember, in the late 80s when Biohazard was coming around, there weren't, like, a lot of the shows at CB's weren't happening anymore. A lot of bands weren't doing anything anymore. The hardcore scene really wasn't, you know, John left the Chromags, they were doing something else. He wasn't whatever, and it was, it was just a different thing. And, yeah, that and first we wave of bands was all gone already. It was all gone, and, and we were like, wait, that was great. Why did that stop? You know, right. when, you know somebody's got to keep that going. It's a good thing you did, too, because, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be here now. You guys took <laughs> it to the next level. I, mean. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, but you guys got out there, you know, did it, so. We never we got, got lucky. to tour like that. Like I said, we got lucky. We were uh, part of a scene in Brooklyn. Don't, don't that, be that so humble. <laughs> it wasn't all luck, you know. Um, a lot of luck. A lot of luck. But we worked hard, too. But, oh. yeah, we, 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 uh, we went around the world with it. A lot. And, uh, you, you guys cool. did work hard. And, and I, remember, I remember that, um, you know, because I was privy to, you know, I was, I was like, I, yeah, I'm not going to say I was almost like, in the band, but I was, you know, you guys, I was around. You know, I was, I was in the shed with you guys. And uh, I remember being, I was really, really, really impressed because up until that point, I never saw a band behave the way that you guys did, which was um, like, we're making this amount of money and we're rolling it back into the band. There was never any like, Yo, I, you know, I need my, yo, fuck that. I, you know, I want my fucking 25 bucks. Fuck yeah, there was a lot of that. You just didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I remember the detente of, you know, you guys, it was always, you know, high, high level of professionality and that you would, the focus would always be on how can we roll it back into the, how can we keep, you know, moving ahead. And you guys really, you know, you really were not short-sighted. And I remember as, at the time, being really, really, impressed with that you know uh, you know a bunch of knuckleheads it doesn't sound like you're talking about biohazard to me <laughs> I, I just gotta say that we were very short-sighted and it, it was like that and uh yeah I don't, you know, I don't remember it that way at all i, I do i remember thinking like wow i've never really i'm used to like you know musicians like arguing like give you know, me 50 like, bucks i gotta get my guitar out of pawn no, shop we didn't argue we just fist fought each other you know in the middle of the street or like you and me <laughs> used to do back in the day i'm not fucking taking the train home fuck that 
Um, how about a question or, or two? Uh, dear, hi. Yes. <laughs> we feel cheated and robbed. <laughs> well, I mean, I... Uh... This shit just ain't there no more, you know? Like, all the, all the good stuff in New York is gone. Like, uh, the places we grew up and the things we... The clubs we grew up playing in are all gone. So it's like nothing we can do about it. It's like real estate kind of thing, you know? But, uh... I still live in New York, and I still love New York. And to me, like, these are the good times. Like, and, you know, like my dad always said that the one thing about New York that always um, stays the same is that it's always changing. And, you know, this might sound strange coming from a documentary filmmaker, but um, I try not to embrace the past too much. And I try to be in the present and look to the future. And in making a film like this, I just had the, the incredible opportunity um, to, like, I went to more hardcore shows and got more connected with young hardcore bands than I have since I was a teenager. And it was fucking great. And I fucking loved it, man. I'm fucking 50 years old now, you know? And here I am at these basement shows and seeing these fucking kids like, like Sebastian and Regulate and King Nine and these fucking young hardcore bands killing it. And it was fucking great. And, you know, so I don't subscribe to the whole, like, you know, uh, it's not the way it used to be and all that. Because to me, I see like all this new shit happening and, and, and it's great and I, and, and I love it. And I'm certainly not one of those cats that's like real invested in that, yo, back in the day shit and I was there and you weren't. I couldn't give a fuck about all that. I think that shit's stupid, you know what I mean? I, I think it's about celebrating the present and, and, looking, and looking to the future. And you know, things change, facades change. And yeah, you know, New York is, you know, th you know things, you know, uh, you know, you stole my memories, you know, and it's like, ah, no, you know, but, you know, but, you know, that's, that's part of it, but I gotta say it, it, that there's still times when I'm walking down the street, you know, at, at two o'clock in the morning, and go, god damn, you know, I fucking love this city, and, and there's just so much great shit here still, you know, so, you know, I, I think it's like anything, I think, you know, you people from Philly, too, you know, have memories like that also, like, you know, things, things march on, you know, you, you just try not to, Try not to embrace the past too much, you know. That, that's 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 my kind of take on it, you know. Uh, what else? Can I, can I, I wanted to point. Out, I'm sorry. I just wanted to point out that Mike Judge was supposed to be here tonight, but the word is that he put his cell phone in upside down in the cradle in the car, so the directions sent him actually into Canada. So he he is in Guelph right now. Sorry. I actually wanted to ask a question about. I know as part of this project, you've talked to a lot of people, yeah. and you've got to make a movie that is an hour and forty five minutes. So how do you make the decision? I mean, you covered an impressive amount of ground, but I'm sure there's someone is like, I don't know, I could have gone with some more abused or well, I wanted to hear about Killing Time or you know, everyone has their favorite well, band. So how do you make the editorial decision of like this is what I have time for and yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. I don't have time for? Yeah, extra yeah. features. What's that? Put it in the extra features. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, sure. no, the, the, I mean, on the DVD, that there's, there, there are the DVD extras, there's, there's a lot of the outtakes. But um, initially, like, I'm not sure if how much it really came across. Uh, I mean, 
the chapters, the randomness of the chapters. Did you all pick up on that? Yeah. It, it wasn't linear in nature. It's, this isn't the history of New York hardcore. So really what I was trying to put across was that, you know, it's sort of like there's a deck of cards of, 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 of chapters of, of, of New York hardcore. And like randomly I shuffled the deck and just kind of threw out, you know, seven or eight or nine, um, you know, random, random chapters of, of this thing. And um, initially, coming off the New York Hardcore Chronicles page, you know, this is shot in an episodic format, and the idea was that I was gonna release, like, a chapter a month for, for like, a year or two, and that this would, like, continue, you know, for quite a, for quite a time. And, and Vice was interested, and I had a meeting with them, and, you know, you know, they were like, yeah, we love it, you know, and, you know, we can have little Johnny host it, and I'm just like, Oh, little Johnny's not hosting the DMS shit in this. No, this. <laughs> I just no, that's not happening. And um, so, uh, initially, my my approach wasn't that I was going to have to wrestle this thing into a a feature film, so to speak. Right. You know, there came a certain point where I had to say, okay, this has to be put into some sort of a, a palatable form, and there were other segments and chapters some of which were partially shot some of which were some of which some of which were sketched out that um that had to go you know and there was a like for instance there was um there was an Astoria Queens segment like what's in the water in Astoria Queens why do all these bands come from Astoria Queens you know you hear Astoria Queens a lot in this film you know uh there was a segment on uh there was a segment called the age of violence which really dealt with sort of the uh the, 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 the Castle Heights era and, and the Marauder era and kill, you know, and um, bulldoze and how, you know, violence really took over uh, New York hardcore for, for a long time. I folded some of that concept into the girls segment, but um, so there, there was a bunch of, uh, a bunch of chapters. Well, I was asking you about uh, ABC No Rio, too. Yeah, right, right. There was an ABC No, there was an ABC no Rio segment and there was a, a Don Fury studio segment. Um, and you know, and there, and then it even goes, it even goes deeper than that. You know, yeah. like you know, I didn't, I you know, I didn't want to get into the bad brains really with this film. I didn't think it was. I mean, other than peripherally, because you know, uh, there's been a few documentaries about them, and I think that made sense. And 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 dealing with the misfits is a whole nother, is a whole nother fucking headache. That I, that I, that it, <laughs> I'm that sure. It, yeah, and I know those was guys. There, was there anybody that you wanted that you couldn't get for the movie, or that you uh, that had to get cut that are bummed? Um, well, um, two pe two people um, that yeah, yeah, actually four people. Um, one of them is Mackie, the drummer for the Cro-Mags. Sure. Mackie just didn't want to be interviewed. He just didn't want to um, go on camera. He's just not. Some people just don't want to, you know, aren't comfortable and don't like being interviewed and, and that type of thing. And, and Mackie, I so badly wanted him for the graffiti segment. You know, you see photos of him in it, and and he was, you know, he he was a real he was a, a graffiti guy, you know, and. Uh, and a great drummer, so uh, I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't lock him down. And another person that I had, and then, you know, just sort of like, it didn't work out, was Paul Bearer from Sheer Terror. Yeah. You know, he just, I had it lined up with him, and then he, you know, he sort of got very Paul Bearer about it, and I was just like, you know, dude, whatever, you know. I mean, like, we have a saying, like, one torpedo doesn't sink the ship, you know what I mean? It's like, if somebody wants to, like, you know, be weird or whatever. It's just like, okay, dude, no problem. There's fucking 15 other people that, you know. Um, and then what happens is, like, you, you, you what, what happens when you 
what happens, I'll keep it in the eye, when I'm making a film like this is that, you know, I didn't get the Paul, I didn't get Paul Bearer, but I got like some, you know, the, the, someone else steps in that sure. sort of fills that role, you know, like Billy Milano, right? There you go. I mean, and, and that's basically, and then you go, in the end, you go, well, you know, I don't even need Paul Bearer anymore, you know? And then the other two, the other two people that I really wanted and I regret not getting is in the girls segment. Um, one is BJ Pappas, the photographer. Yeah, uh, she sure. was a girl that was around back in the day and, um, you know, really shot a lot of great stuff, but she's in Hollywood now, and um, I couldn't connect with her. And the other one is Brooke, Brooke Smith Lubinsky. She, uh, she's an actress now. Um, she was around in the scene back in the day. She put, she put a book out. She took a bunch of photogra uh, photographs, and she, she's an actress now. She's on Bates Motel. She was in... Um, um, thank you, bro. <laughs> She was the girl down in the hole in Silence of the Lambs, right? Good work, sicko. So she's an old hardcore gal, and I really thought that that would have, you know, um, brought a little, you know, something, something to it, you know? I have a question for the three of you. Since we're in Philadelphia, what was your perception of Philadelphia as a city to perform in and in a city in general? Well, we, uh, we, we were one of the first bands to come out here, I think, back in the early 80s. Uh, yeah, the Love Hall, which is on, I guess, South, South Street. Yeah, I mean, we did the shows with, um, who were we playing with? The Necros and Why Die and the Misfits. Misfits. Played with the Misfits out here. Yeah, it was, it was fun coming to Philly. It was like uh, coming to, to Philly from New York was like a big deal back then, you know? It's like we just didn't do it. We just were a very local band, you know? We never really got went anywhere, so playing in Philly was like a big deal for us, so. We loved it. Playing in Philly was a big deal for me, too. We never left fucking Brooklyn, so uh, going to Staten Island was a big deal. But, uh, you know, while you were talking, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first Biohazard show that was in Philly or near Philly. And I think it was on the back of a truck in, like, South Jersey <laughs> at somebody's backyard party. What? Yeah. That's awesome. I remember, yeah. I remember, I remember somebody got electrocuted during that show. <laughs> Like it was in some, I don't know, I wish I could remember. But yeah, it was like they had like a trailer. Where? Germ. Were you there? But it's gone down in legend. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how we got hooked up with that. I just remember the just, kid getting electrocuted. For, for the, for the and I thought he was going to die, and nobody cared. Like, I was, <laughs> you know, we were holding the guy, he's shaking. We're like, is somebody going to call somebody or something? No? All right. I also, what song's next? I, I also remember um, a lot of great shows at the Trocadero. Trocadero? Yeah, I remember Biohazard playing the Troc, you know, and, and like some really great. That was a, that was, is that still there? Yeah. The Troc still? The place is great. Yeah. Fucking room was like a brick. I remember watching like, Glenn like Danzig beat brick. the shit out of kids in the front row of that place. Who? Glenn Danzig. Right. I remember coming down here to go see a, an early Danzig show and seeing Glenn Dan backstage putting on the loaded like leather gloves, like I'm fucking somebody up tonight. Like putting his gloves on before the show. And then my friend says to me, he goes, watch Glenn, he's gonna kick the shit out of somebody. And sure enough, kids were coming over the thing and he had these fucking loaded gloves and he was wailing on kids. Yeah, and I'm gonna do a Misfits film, yeah. right? <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, Are there more audience questions? Yeah. What else? My man. So, uh, I have two questions. One, did Paris work with you on this film? Was Paris, what was Paris's interest? Did he have an interest in this film? 
Paris Mayhew from the Chromex yeah. had nothing to do with this film. As a matter of fact, you didn't. <laughs> What's that? Did he participate in um, I um, I actually um, I'm okay with Paris these days. Okay. <laughs> so you you know like which you know in the world that's of, big for you. Yeah. And for him. That's yeah. Big. In the world. Be okay. Yeah, I didn't talk to you for 20 years. In 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 the in the in the world of Chromags, if you're okay with somebody, it's like it's like a big deal. You know? But um. No, me and Paris are cool. You know, as, as time's marched on, I, I think, um, you know, time, time wounds all heals, you know? Um, but uh, I, I reached out to Paris to interview him for the crossover segment. Paris is a working Steadicam operator, cameraman, and he was on the road at the time. And, uh, you know, we, we spoke about it, and, and he appreciated it. And uh, we had a civil conversation. And... Uh, he just wasn't available at the time. And then, you know, the kind of train goes down the station and other people got involved. And then, like, I didn't need Paris anymore. You know, it's sort of like that moment, you know, but Paris had nothing to do with the film uh, in the least bit uh, at all. But, uh, you know, I'm cool with Paris these days. As obviously, I'm cool with Harley and I'm cool with John, you know, uh, which is, you know, sort of an awkward place to be in this world, you know, like being a filmmaker and, you know, trying to be like, look, dude, you know. I, I don't navigate know. the Chromag world. Yeah. What's that? Trying to navigate the Chromag. Uh, oh, inner That's workings. a whole other movie right there. Yeah. That's a whole other movie, right? We'll do that after the Misfits film. I was, I was amazed that they're both in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think Harley's great in the movie, right? I mean, he, he's, you know, he's... Look, Harley Flanagan is... Like, after interviewing him in the film, I really kind of felt like that... You know, I, I felt like I know, like, the kind of charisma that someone like Charles Manson has. You know, like, it, like, as funny as that is, like, Manson, like, had this very charismatic personality that sucked you in. Harley Flanagan is very similar to that. He has a very charismatic personality when you're interacting with him, and it's just, it's sort of, a, it, it's, it's a bit intoxicating. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's great in the film. And, uh, you know, John's in, John's in it um, a, li a little bit as well, you know, and uh, I think... I think it's fine. Look, look, the one thing I knew that I didn't want to deal with is the Cro-Mags drama and bullshit. Because, like, yo, who gives a fuck about that shit anyway, man? I know I don't. And, like, I'm not putting that shit in a film, you know? It's like, that's just not, that's Mickey Mouse shit. You know, you want to get into that, get on Facebook, you know? It's like, I'm, that's not, I don't think that's, you know, that's, that's nonsense to me, so. Did anyway, you have a second question, Ryan? Those commie, those commie cocksuckers, those guys? <laughs> those fucking whining San Francisco fucking pussies, those guys? I, I think that's what he was looking for, yes. I think that's what he was asking. He's asking you to take a side in the born against uh, sick of it all <laughs> debate. Which, by the way, I didn't see, I didn't even see Life's Blood in this movie, let alone Born Against, so I guess... A side was chosen. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, that magazine's still around. <laughs> Max and Rock and Roll. I think it is, bro. Jeez. Max, I just it is. Look, the Mac, Max, and, Max and Rock and Roll hated New York back in the day. You know, they really did, and they used to go on and on about it. But I tell you, one one thing I, I learned uh, in, in 
making the film and, and one thing that's really, uh, you know, joy, you know, it's a joy in, in, in making a film like this and, you know, dis discovering things and is that um, I learned that uh, I was talking to some of the DC guys recently and like their whole like thing on the DC hardcore scene, you know, like Minor Thread and, you know, our, our good friend John Staub passed away recently and uh, like those DC dudes kind of look at the hardcore thing as like that's something we did back in the day, like we were kids and like, yeah, you know, we did that back in the day and, you know, that was it, you know, like, and they sort of look at it like, oh God, you know, we would never, you know, like, and I think there's a lot of scenes around the country that are kind of like that. Like I did the Boston Hardcore film and that was like really centered on, you know, 80 through 84 and I mean, how many people saw American Hardcore, right? I mean, that whole thing was like, at the end was like Hardcore's dead and that whole thing and, and like, the one thing I, I, I learned uh, in making this film was that New York hardcore is something that, you know, is still going and, and has, has a wide arc to it, you know? It, it like, you know, it's still going strong and I hope that that came across with the, with the contemporary thread of like the black and blue bowl and stuff like that. There's still stuff happening and, and it's still a vibrant scene and it's not like, oh yeah, we were, you know, we did our thing in like 1980 you know, and then it like, you know, it never, you know, so, I think the film kind of portrays that, like with, you know, I, th I think art is cyclical in nature, right? The wave goes in and the wave goes out, you know, and then, you know, it's just like this sort of, you know, and that's what happens here is like, you know, the first A7 stuff and then, you know, it comes back again, youth crew and, you know, mad ball and all that. And I, and I think New York is one of the few scenes in the, in the country. And then, you know, it comes back with the crossover bands. And, and I think that's what makes New York, you know, uh, in retrospect, really, really special, you know. And to this date, you know, people, it, it means something more than just the music. I mean, New York hardcore means... A, a lot to people all over the world. It's almost like a state of mind, you know? It's, it's family, it's brotherhood, it's, you know, it, it's that sort of thing, and, and it means a lot to a lot of people. It's, it's interesting, you know? What else? My man. I think the extent of Drew's clearance was we were shooting at some studio somewhere, and I remember at the end of the day, we were finishing up like the inside studio shit that we did, and uh, we were finishing that, that stuff up, and at the end of the day, I was like, uh, so what are we doing tomorrow? And Drew was like, um, we're going to meet at that last stop at the end of the Brooklyn Bridge. We're going to meet outside right there, Cadman Plaza, whatever it is, that little stop. Back then, nobody knew where it was. And I, I remember showing up, I borrowed a car to get there. And um, I was like, where the fuck, what are we gonna do today? And you and Paris were just like, let's just go up on the bridge. You know, we just, there was no planning whatsoever. Not at all. Even when we went to like Greenpoint and, and shot that shit by like West 6th Street, the graffiti shit and oh, everything. Yeah, yeah, no. We were just kinda, let's get a bunch of guys down there and do it, come on. Yeah, it was a different, it was a different kind of era, you know what I mean? And uh, I, I uh, I sort of um, kind of knew what I was doing in a certain way when it came to that stuff. Uh, when it came to that like real renegade filmmaking stuff. You didn't ask, no permission. Yeah, I grew up in the film business in New York, you know, and, and for me, job always meant like uh, I worked in movie equipment rental houses. So I, I was, you know, I kind of, and this was when New York was still fucked up, you know? They, they didn't really, you know, you could get away with a lot of shit. I knew we could get away, we did it on a Sunday. 
that's the other thing. We did it on a Sunday. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go up there. All of us, we're going to get up there. We're fucking you know, blaze across the bridge. And you know, they don't even know what happened. You know, they won't even, you know, what, by the time they figure it out, we'll be gone, you know? Yeah, so, so there were... Philly, st- Philly still has that aesthetic. It really does, doesn't it? I mean, Philly has, you know, New York doesn't have a lot of that. You know, Philly has it. You know, Baltimore has it too. But, you know, it's gnarly. You know, Philly has, uh, like, visually, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff there. And don't worry, I'm sure, like, I'm sure, like, someone, I'm sure they're, they're working on the, the Warriors remake right now, you know, and it's going to be all CGI and, you know, uh, you know, Zach Efron's going to be in it and all, and, and all that shit. Don't so. don't speak it into existence, please. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm sh- don't worry, just saying bro. it out loud could make it real. You know, I don't, wanna... don't worry. You know, and and, and I'll be directing X Men Five next next can, year. Can I ask a quick Biohazard question? Is that okay? Uh, you. It seems like Biohazard. Um, you very quickly were in a world beyond. You know, you're saying like, oh, we just played Brooklyn, whatever. But pretty early on, you're doing metal tours, you're touring with bands who I'm sure knew about hardcore, but they didn't know about it the way that you did. And I just was wondering about that transition. Like, I, I know people in bands now and they go on tour, but it's, it's not the same as like, go, like, it seems like then maybe there was a, a cultural divide. So I wondered about crossing that. And then even more, and it came up in the movie, I was glad it did, the Onyx question of like, you know what I mean? Like that, at that moment, that's not something that people were... Yeah. That you know what I mean? I mean, other than bring the noise, there was not really that sort of thing happening. So uh, until the Judgment Night soundtrack, right? Yeah, right. Cinepunk. This is a movie podcast. That's right. (laughs) Go ahead. I think we kind of um, because the band itself, like the the guys in the band, we we were from uh, two different neighborhoods in Brooklyn. That kind of. we were close enough to the city where we could go to the Lower East Side and hang out and go to shows there and experience that. But like I said, our, our real hometown club was Lemoore's in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn on fucking 62nd Street and 16th Avenue. And, uh, you know, there was the club there itself had a lot to do with that because that was our hometown club. And, I mean, I literally lived down the street from Lemoore's for a couple of years in that, like, in the late 80s. Like, I could walk there. And I, I would go there on a fucking Thursday night, a Friday night, a Saturday night, you know. And, uh, you know, on Thursday night, I would see whatever band was playing. It might be, you know, Soundgarden and the Black Crows. And Saturday could be Iron Maiden playing a fucking, uh, you know, secret show. And Sunday could be a hardcore matinee with Raw Deal. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it was. So uh, to me, like... Uh, the boundaries were only on the Lower East Side when I would go to buy records and somebody would want to kill me because I had long hair. Sure. You know what I mean? The only reason I didn't get killed at hardcore shows when I was a kid was because I knew Minus and Saab were my friends from, from Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, otherwise, I would have been a statistic too. Like Harley was saying, you know, it was dangerous for a lot of kids at those shows. Back in the 80s um, and even in the 90s, at hardcore shows, if you weren't from, you know, you, if you weren't from fucking Queens or from uh, Southern Brooklyn, or um, you know, from the Lower East Side, and you walked into those shows and walked into those pits, you were getting fucked up bad, really bad. Like not just the punch in the face, you were getting like a ball peen hammer to your forehead. It was terrible, you know. And you know, 
our club, Lemoore's, was, was, you know, it was a violent club, it was a crazy club, but they allowed any band to play there. You know, on a weekend, like I said, you could see fucking Guns N' Roses play there. White you could see the Chromags play there. You could see White Lion play there. You know, and this became our hometown club. So, we, you know, there were kids there. We, all, we went to every show. We didn't give a shit. So the, the boundaries between all this shit, for us, were broken down way, way early. You know, when I would go to shows in Manhattan, there was, there was the peace punks over here, and then there was these bunch of other kids who were from Connecticut who all spoke with an English accent over here. And, <laughs> and, and then there were the hardcore punks. The hardcore punks were the kids who were shaving their heads and shit. And those are the kids with the razor blades in their boots. And they were just fucking everybody. And they were all from New Jersey. And they were fucking everybody up outside of shows. And, uh, but we didn't have that Lemoore's. We had a different thing in Lemoore's. But, um, you know, the bouncers would beat the fuck out of everybody. But, um, yeah, that broke down the boundaries for us. Because we went to all different shows. You know, and Biohazard kind of was a representation of that. You know, we had two, a guy like me with long hair and Evan with long hair and two guys with shaved heads and Billy was a yeah. punk rocker from way back. Yeah. And, you know, we just kind of, we didn't design it that way. It just kind of happened. Yeah, I've, I've said before that the first time I saw Biohazard play was at a CBGB's hardcore matinee. And I kind of like went in and, you know, I was watching Biohazard play, and I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, two long hairs, two skinheads, you know, kind of a gimmick, and they just weren't very good, and I watched a few songs and split. And then, you know, a few years, I don't know if it was a few years later, I mean, uh, it was, it was uh, maybe a year, a year later, but then the, the video thing came up, and I think that, I think what happened in the interim was just a lot of hard work and dedication, and you guys, you know, honed your craft quite a bit, and, you know, just got, got a lot better, you know? I mean, that, that, was, that, that was basically it. And, and I think, I think Biohazard, in a certain way, was a little bit like Twisted Sister. If, if, if you've seen the Twisted Sister doc, they just couldn't yeah. be denied. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone was like, they suck. But meanwhile, they would fill the Palladium. And, you know, but Biohazard had such an incredible fan base of people that were just fucking loved. They, they just would, and after a while, they just couldn't be denied. You know, they just, you know, so. But, I mean, nuns, you remember, like, the, like we're a little bit older, like in our in the early A7 era, like you know, vi violence within us was not really the case. We never, we never. There was no. We were all kind of. It was us against them back then, right? right us against them. Uh, it seemed like they got violent when the the bridge and tunnel crowds started coming into CBGBs and A7 when they discovered those small little pockets we used to inhabit, and uh, that's when it started getting really violent. You know, the the mosh pits started getting ugly. So it chased a lot of people out and. A lot of more people came in too. So, hey, I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, as a documentary filmmaker, are there other documentarians that you've drawn influence from or inspiration from, putting forward into your own work? Well, without a doubt, the the the, the two biggest influences in my in my life in, 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 as a filmmaker are Werner Herzog. If anybody knows who he is, you know, I mean, he's inspired me beyond belief. I mean, he, he takes chances as an artist and uh, inspiration beyond belief. And, uh, and my father, also, who was a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, growing up with my dad and seeing the stuff that he did, you know, it was inspiring. What did he, what did he do? But my, my, dad was, uh, my, my dad grew up in an orphanage. He invented the Yoo-Hoo logo. <laughs> yeah, right. what, you know the Yoo-Hoo bottle? <laughs> Arnie Stone. It's my dad's. That my true? dad's That's a true story. My my dad was in a my dad was in a gang when he was growing up, and he took the gang co went, went later on in life. 
uh, he took the colors and uh, when Yuhu was nothing, he was doing a Yuhu commercial. They didn't even have a logo or nothing, and he used the colors from his crew for the, for the Yuhu logo. So every time, if you see that Yuhu logo, which is like yellow and and and, and blue, that was my dad's crew from the Bronx. Those are, he designed that that whole fucking thing, you know. This is such a cool Cinepunk scoop right now. Right. This is yeah. what the headline is going to be when I post this shit. Yeah, my dad, you know, my dad's an interesting character. He grew up in an orphanage and, and started in the film business. Like, you know, when they used to have boxing matches, you know, each round they would give the film to a kid to run to the lab. And that's how my dad started in the film business. And he just ended up being a very beloved uh, um, person in, in the film business and to this day. And, um, you know, just, you know, growing up with, with such an, you know, an amazing person. And uh, I learned a lot about how to, uh, how to deal with people and uh, how, to, how to deal with, uh, I hate to use the term, you know, celebrities on camera, but seeing my dad work with Muhammad Ali and, and uh, Joe Frazier um, and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, enabled, you know, I think I, you, you know, and I, and I think it even as, it's just something like as a child and as a kid, you just sort of absorb, you know what I mean? And like I think that you know, when it came time, you, you know th that that stuff sort of you know, I don't know. There's um, anybody wondering how Kirk Hammett ended up in this film? <laughs> oh, you're wrong. Danny Loker was in the film. That counts. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> um, I'll tell you the quick uh, Kirk Hammett story because it's. Actually, the question, the question which, which maybe you could ask is, is as a filmmaker, as, as, a, as a filmmaker, who, is there anyone in the film that you, that you like, were really excited about interviewing was special to you? So, Drew, in this movie that you've directed and written, was there anybody in the film... Anyone. ...that you were stoked to have on there with you? Super stoked. Like, way hyped. Good fucking question, bro. We kill it. Uh, <laughs> God damn. Um, yeah, there was, as a matter of fact, and I'll tell you that story. Um, so I have another film coming out, the, the Alago film, right? And I was out in San Rafael interviewing the Metallica guys. I was in their rehearsal room in San Rafael, and um, I interviewed Hetfield. And uh, I already interviewed Lars when he was in New York, um, because Alago signed Metallica, that's part of my other film. He signed them to Elektra. Um, so I interview Hetfield, and then um, I start talking to Hammett. Now Hammett, I remember from back in the day, um, he was friends with Barry Krause and all that. So there was a, you know, uh, hey Drew, how you doing? Oh Barry, how, you know, there's a little bit of common ground there. You know, he remembers me, and 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 we uh, we we were chatting and this and that and. He says to me, what else are you doing? I said, well, you know, I'm doing this New York hardcore thing and this and that. And, you know, we, we chat a little bit about what's up, you know. And so I'm interviewing him in the, in the rehearsal room. And uh, he starts looking at me funny. Funny. And um, I'm thinking, like, what's up with that? And he, just, it, and he, goes, he goes, what's up with the Cro-Mags? And I'm like, bro, I'm like... Yo, you want to talk New York hardcore? I'll make it rain in here, dude. I will shut this camera off. I will start it back up, and we will talk New York hardcore. And he's like, "Let's talk New York hardcore." So I, I shut the camera down on the Alago film. I fired the camera back up for the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, and we had like this 20-minute interlude in the middle of this interview in their rehearsal room. 
And, uh, yo, you know, Kirk Hammett, lover of New York hardcore, right? I mean, and he says it in the film that he really thought that um, New York hardcore was going to be the next big musical movement, the way that, like, uh, grunge was in Seattle. And, and he really loved the Chrome Mags, and he really loved, you know, you know the, the Crumb Suckers. So as I'm sitting there interviewing Hammett, my fucking phone buzzes, and I look, and it's MQ, right? And I've been chasing MQ around for a year. I mean, MQ's the boogeyman of graffiti, right? Here's a guy that they don't, he doesn't let anyone see his face. You know, he does not do interviews. Like in the graffiti world, the fact that I got MQ in this film is a very big deal. So I'm chasing this motherfucker around for a year, and I'm in San Francisco where he is, and, bzzz, and he's like, meet me in this alleyway at this time, right? So... I'm like, fuck, that's like, you know, 45 minutes from now, right? So I'm like, I wrap up the Hammond and do, yeah, yeah, cool, right, right, thanks everybody, blah, blah, blah. I get it, I'm out, in, I get in the car in San Rafael, I fucking fly into San Francisco, and I go down into downtown San Francisco into this fucking disgusting neighborhood. I mean, this is like, I went down to like Valhalla, right? It was like downtown San Francisco, this fucking, you know, Thinking disgusting, you and feces alleyway, right? Graffiti, people like smoking crack. I'm like, oh fuck, man. I mean, I mean, it's good to know it still exists out there. But like, I, I, I you know, like, oh god, it was, it was, it was. You know, I'm, I have my, my fucking camera gear, right? And um, I'm, I'm going to this alleyway and like, you know, kind of like, like out of the like a Klaus Kinski thing, like, you know, like, like right out of the shadows, like, like, uh, like. You know, puffy just materializes. You know, the bo the boogeyman of graffiti. You know, and uh, and I just I just did that interview with MQ, and it was like really one of the most incredible interviews I've ever done. It seems like it ends chaotically towards the end of the. He kind of just wanders off, and I wondered like, was that affect or was that like really just how he is? Yo, the voices in this dude's head are so loud that I could hear them. <laughs> I mean, it it was. It, it was so incredible. Like he's such a, he, you know, the guys, uh, the, the guys in our, the, you know, the guys like uh, an artist, uh, an incredible artist, and like pure, like he's the he's the real motherfucking thing. And uh, and I, so it was an incredible interview. I mean, obviously he's 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 you know, for a dude like that, like you know. Uh, violence could happen at any second in any direction something bad could happen he's looking for the cops looking for enemies you know looking for his ex-wife like it's just like god you know so madness but that was uh, that was really an interview i think out of all the interviews you know uh that one really resonated for me uh the mq one was really great and also you know having you know uh, the accessibility that i have from being an antidote all these years and um, you know, and, and and having relationships with people uh, gave me the opportunity to to you know to really to do this thing, and people trusted me. And uh, you know, there's some really great you know some really great stuff in the film. Like, like look, look, let's be frank. You know, you got Freddie Mabel talking very frankly about you know his crew and stuff like that. That's on camera. That's that's pretty rare, you know. And and, and sort of laying it out. I mean, I. I like one segment that I really like in the film still is the graffiti segment. You know, I, I think that it, it really, um, it's unique. You know, uh, and, you know, there's there's not much I would change. You know, there's a few things like I, you know, sort of like wish I would have you know cut it down a little bit or you know, but you know, other than that. All right, I think question. we have time for maybe like one or two yeah, more. Hey, before yeah, you right run there. out the door, I want to sign a poster for you. I got DVDs, I got T-shirts. The shit is incredibly cheap. 
I saw a hand behind Evo, which is pretty great that I could see it behind Evo. That's interesting, you know, like, there you go, like, that should be a segment, you know, that, that, that's like a segment that didn't get done, you know what I mean, because you know, that, that's a great subject matter there, you know, and, yeah, absolutely, and, and in my Boston hardcore film, there's a whole, you know, skateboarding thing in there, and I think as, uh, as youth culture and, and uh, as, you know, as, uh, as kids, you know, I think that's, that's how, uh, you know, how everyone get around, but, but also, you know, we grew up in the city, you know, and like, you know, like, you know, so you know, we skateboarded, but like as kids, you know, we were we were jumping the trains and doing shit like that in in in, in like New York City. Like it, it was a little bit, uh, and I hate to say it, I mean, isn't skateboarding somewhat of suburban uh, kind of culture? You know, like when you live in a. But then again, uh, maybe that's not true. You no, know? there was a lot of kids into skateboarding in the yeah. New York hardcore scene. Yeah, yeah. there was. Boston hardcore film. Uh, there, there's a whole skateboarding montage and stuff like that. And but that's a good one. That, that's like that, that. That that would be in the like what I talked about in the in the in the grand scope of things. You know. Me personally, no, no, didn't influence me. This guy's. I'm an ice hockey guy. <laughs> Roller hockey. I skateboarded. Somebody as a, stole my skateboard when I was a little kid. Yeah, me too, man. I, I got, I got someone ripped off my skateboard. Yeah. One of the, one, you know, in in New York City, and there, there was a lot of that. Too many potholes to skateboard in New York City. Too. Yeah, like I said, as a, as a, as a teenager in New York, like I started young, like you know, stealing cars and jumping trains and skating was more in the suburbs, I think. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, you know, we got into drugs and alcohol and. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I think we're gonna wrap up. Unless hey, I want to like thank everybody for coming questions. out. I want to thank Rob Dunzio from Antidote. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Danny Schuler, Danny Schuler from Biohazard, who recently played drums with Rest in Pieces. And I want to thank you all so much for coming. It was a really fun night, and uh, you know, I'll see you out there. Thanks a lot. Hey, y'all. There's uh, stuff for sale, so feel free to check that out before you leave. Thanks to the Philomoka. Happy birthday, Pat. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Break down, take TV.